welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we are recording this episode on the on the edge of a new year. This is December 31st, 2017. We are hours away from uh, midnight and New Year's Day, 2018. This also marks our 50th episode. Woo! It only took us like four years to get there, but... Uh, our golden anniversary episode. <laughs> yeah, we made it. Um, so yeah, there's 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 all of that, and so we decided that for this episode we are going to sort of. <laughs> what? No, sorry, I've got the Shania Twain song in my head now. What Shania Twain song? <laughs> Looks like we made it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Look how far we've come now, baby. Yes. And so on. Sorry. That is Shania Twain. <clears throat> um. <laughs> So, yeah, we decided to take a look back at uh, this past year, um, which we will we will discuss some of some of the some of our cinematic highlights from 2017, whether it be new films that came out this year that we that we saw or maybe they're just old films that we saw for the first time this year, either on DVD or maybe in the theater. Um, yeah. And then uh after that, we will talk about uh, the latest film that I've seen, and uh, Tim also saw. We saw it a couple days ago. Uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Um, but we will get to that a little bit later. I do have to say, first off, we are recording this um, in my living room, and it is uh, currently negative one degree. Negative one degrees, or negative one degree. I was struggling with that the past few days. I don't. I'm not sure. Because like I want to when it's zero, I want to say zero degrees, but that should be the least plural because it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, you have no degrees, so that I mean that makes sense. Okay, but if you have negative one degrees, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's really cold outside, and it's been really cold this last week. And uh, we, we were debating whether or not to turn my heat off because it's probably going to make some noise when it turns on. But uh, we kind of decided, like, we'd rather not be really cold. So, because this living room just gets so drafty and just very cold. So, I apologize. When the heat turns on, I hope it's not too distracting. But uh, we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to live with it won't we yes we don't want frostbite <laughs> i would say frostbite why what this is matt nardone porn oh yeah no <laughs> we definitely don't want that kind of frostbite but uh we definitely uh also don't want the kind of frostbite that uh that you know certain friends of ours uh have <laughs> yeah currently for some reason that's the first time i've thought of that in the past couple of days hearing about it <clears throat> I wasn't like, oh my god, Panda has Matt Nardone porn all over his feet. Just to clarify, Sorry. this Frostbite Matt Nardone thing is unverified. We don't know what uh, what that was. It, it, I mean, I don't know. Anybody listening to this probably doesn't know what the hell we're talking about anyway. But Maybe cut this part? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you brought it up, Matt Nardone porn. Okay. Matt, if you're listening, we, we don't know what happened, really. And I don't want to know. Whatever. But if you ever really want to show us, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I should open that door. No. All right. Well, that door will stay closed. All right. So, 
2017 in film. Oh, what a year it was. How was your uh, movie going experience this year? I know earlier you said uh, you saw quite a lot of movies. Definitely more movies than I watched this year. Yeah, I don't remember how many. I sent it to you in a message, though, so I can easily look at my phone. It was like 106, I want to say. 106, or 105. Yeah, it was about there, which, um... I hate having a job. Because, like, that's, uh... When I was unemployed, I feel like I was watching movies all the time. And now it's like, I got stuff to do. Um... Oh, 108. I watched 108 films for the first time this year. It's not counting ones that I'd seen before that I watched again. Mm-hmm. I just you... feel like I do so much better. Yeah. Now, you keep track of all of the movies that you watch. You, you keep a list. Yeah, whenever I see a movie for the first time, I write it in uh, my little planner. And I, uh, I started the year. Uh, the very first film I watched was on January 1st. Um, Charlie Chaplin's A King in New York, which was is not a very good film. That's from the late 50s. He only made one more film after that. Uh, that was during the period when he was, like, not allowed in America, kind of. Um, and I ended the year, like, two days ago, I think, was the last time I actually sat and watched a movie. Uh, it was uh, Robert Altman's Health which I I wanted to see that movie for years and I was finally able to watch it on YouTube. And it's like that movie was made for 20th Century Fox in 1979. It was the last of his like five picture deal with them, uh, Robert Altman's that is. And they hated it. And um they didn't release it. They kind of like sold it back to Robert Altman. He took it to some festivals. Nobody at the festivals really liked it that much. Never got a home video release, but the Fox Movie Channel showed it in the 90s, and somebody taped it with their VCR and put it on YouTube, and that's basically, if any, most of the people who have seen Health are like, oh yeah, I watched that, you know, VHS thing on YouTube. Wow, so, yeah, it's just, uh... And it's not, it. it's just so, like, it's ugly looking, and it starts out, it's like, oh cool, it's in widescreen, but it's just for the credits. As soon as the opening credits right. stop, yeah. it cuts to full screen, and you can tell like people are talking to somebody who's out of the frame, and you feel like they're probably supposed to be there. But it's an entertaining movie. It's it's a funny movie. It's not like one of his like big like oh it's like Nashville or McCabe and Mrs. Miller or The Player like one of his or Gosford Park. It's just a nice, pleasant, enjoyable, entertaining film. Now, like, what year did you say it came out? Well, it never came out, but well, it was I mean, what year was it made? Seventy nine. Oh, okay. This is right before Popeye. Right. <laughs> um yeah and it's got like carol burnett in it and james garner like millions of other people lauren bacall is in it glenda jackson uh dick cavett plays himself and he's actually one of the main characters in it uh he's very funny in it you think it's uh is it criterion worthy should is it something that the criterion collection should get on trying to release uh, probably not they put out the first of his uh five picture deal which was three women from 77 um, which that's a really great movie. It's a very like one of his like serious like smaller films, and then the other films, um, a wedding, a perfect couple, and quintet. They were like in a box set Fox put out like maybe ten years ago, and what was frustrating it was like 
it was a four film box set so you'd think oh, okay criterion did three women so the other four of the five films will be in this but no instead of health they put in mash a single disc edition of mash mm. which is like if anybody wanted mash they probably already had the yeah two discs. i was gonna say i mean you, that that's that's something that doesn't really need another it was a huge missed opportunity right? and hopefully someday there'll be an official release of health um, but uh but it, I feel like I'm talking a lot about health. That was not the major cinematic experience I had in 2017. It just happened Watching health on one. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest uh, uh, movie moment. I mean, it, it was nice, though, that I finally, for a long time, the heat's kicking on now. Yeah, so here, here it goes. So, but, uh, Sorry. Whatever, nice little, nice little fridge buzz, or whatever, as Tom York would say. Um, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, for a long time, my Blu-ray player wouldn't let me watch YouTube, and now apparently, magically, it just started doing that. The same thing happened a few months ago with letting me watch Amazon. So that was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, about, what about what did your year like bookend with? Oh boy. Well, unlike you, I did not keep track of uh, movies I saw this year. I used to do that. Yeah. Uh, years ago, and then I just fell out of it and haven't. Uh, I just haven't gone back to it because once you stop, then it's kind of like, well, there's no way I the, the list will forever be incomplete, you know? Right. So that 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 train has sort of come to a stop. But I, who knows? Maybe starting next year. I mean, it it helps to actually have like, you know, the podcast going. Yeah. Because it keeps me plugged into the world of like wanting to actually watch movies um because it's something that in today's day and age i mean like most of my media consumption and entertainment consumption has been in the form of you know keeping up on tv shows that i watch um twin peaks this year twin peaks was a yeah that was that was a huge thing this year um yeah the twin peaks return which i want to talk a little bit about uh, a little later um so yeah, I'm, I'm mostly watching a lot of TV shows. I've been, you know, we, we were talking about this a little earlier, but you brought up like podcasts, you know, and I listen to a fair amount of podcasts. So that eats up some, you know, some time that I might have otherwise been watching, you know, maybe like a movie or something. Um, there's just so many in between, you know, like, oh, if I'm like playing like, a, you know, there were a couple of video games that I got pretty heavily invested in this year that like ate up some time. Um, and I've been reading a lot of comic books lately I've, I've had a you know subscription going this whole year so there's just like a lot of little things that kind of just like eat into the time that i would normally have devoted towards uh you know watching films and we started the podcast back up uh in august of this year so that i mean you know that has definitely got me watching a lot of well, just a lot more movies um but yeah, I mean, we started this year, and I guess the one of the big things that uh, at the beginning of the year was you and I were going to Proctor's every Monday for a few weeks. Um, I wound up only it was only three times for me, but uh, yeah, they had a, a, a classic film series at Proctor's at the theater. For those that don't know, it's in Schenectady. Yeah, it's a theater called Proctor's. Which, uh, I mean, we always assume that if you listen to this, you probably know us or from this area of upstate New York. Yeah, which is so. uh, probably not so fair now that uh, we've been kind of 
Yeah. <laughs> more so, you know, it's it's more, more readily available for people to, yeah. to download and find. In other, in other episodes, you've just kind of been like, oh, yeah, I went to Proctor's, did this, and people yeah, might yeah, be yeah. like, what? They had to go to their proctologist or something? I don't know. <laughs> or, like, somebody was giving them an exam. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's this great theater on uh, State Street in Schenectady, and they have, like, a regular, like, you know, like, live theater area and then they also have the uh the ge theater which is where they normally show movies they they just recently opened another theater somewhere else in the building for movies i don't know where it is i haven't Mm -hmm. been to that one yet um yeah so this year i wound up going there with you a number of times most recently we did a whole episode about our experience there watching the beyond yeah um which was great but at the beginning of the year they had this classic film series going um all year long and and it was all they showed all these movies uh, in chronological order of release so they started with a series of like short films or i mean not short films silent films i mean and uh yeah so we watched um chicago chicago the original uh yeah, chicago which that was really cool to see um why be good which i didn't realize at the time um I don't remember who the credited director is, but it was produced by Cecil B. DeMille, and apparently he actually directed much of it. So, like, a lot of people refer to it as a Cecil B. DeMille film. Yeah, what year was YB Good? That was, uh... 29, I think? Yep, 1929. Um, and that was, uh, actually... I don't know, that one, for some reason, has, has kind of stuck with me. Since they we, make since fun of people it. with uh, beards and glasses? Yeah, it really cut me deep, you know? <laughs> that was one of two movies we saw in the theater where they made cracks about people with beards and glasses. I yeah, I, I, it was like, I, I, you know, for anybody who doesn't know me, I, I have a beard and glasses. And, uh, yeah, there was a line about, you know, there was the, the young girl who was like, oh, I would, you know, I would never want to date him. He looks like an old old man with his beard and glasses or something like yeah. along those lines. And I was just kind of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> All eyes in the theater turned to Max and judged. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know what it is about that movie. Something it it's a it's like a light romantic comedy thing from you know silent movie, and it's pretty. I mean, you kind of know where the story's going, but uh, it has a certain kind of charm to it that uh, that I really uh, I don't know. I hate I liked that it. my my memories of it. I mean, that was so long ago. I know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I'd like to see it again. I really... I, I wish there were more opportunities to see silent films on the big screen. Because they just envelop you so much more that way. I mean, any film on the big screen is better, but, like, silent films in particular, like, it really just grabs hold of your of all of your focus. Well, I think also because, I mean, if you're watching a silent movie, like, say, at your house there's this thing where it's like you there's just more to be distracted by in your own house yeah where you're hanging out you've got your phone maybe and maybe you know somebody's texting you or you're browsing online and it's easier i think with a silent movie to kind of become more distracted because there's just there's a little they can tend to be like not as engaging because there's a bit of a barrier there where like you're used to having you, there's a little bit more that you kind of have to invest in watching a silent movie because you have to pay attention more to, uh, you know, what people are are doing 
yeah, less it's, about what they're saying. It's entirely visual. Yeah. Um, and we kind of take for granted how much we rely on like, like the auditory cues. Like when we're just like we're like oh yeah I watched a movie when really you're just kind of like wandering around house doing other stuff and the movie's on, you still get the basic idea of what's going on with like a sound film. And like that's it's a bad habit to break, but you know because you any movie you watch you want to just sit there and focus on it. But yeah, like, absolutely. I I can't say that I've always done that with every movie, especially when I'm at my house. Yeah, totally. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, so there is something nice about going into it. I mean that's. It is what's nice about the whole theater experience just overall is because it's like it forces you to just it puts you into that zone of just like it just fills your whole vision it's dark it's quiet there's nothing to do but focus on the film um you know i mean i don't know this there are just so many distractions these days i remember at some point this past year i heard somebody talking about um the shawshank redemption how it's gotten such a huge reputation over the past like 20 years or whatever um and he was attributing it to like a lot of people who aren't really into movies they'll still love that movie and part of it might be the voiceover like nothing well i mean you give you morgan just, you give morgan freeman anything to say and it's gonna right be but not even just the quality of the voiceover but just like you can be like it's it used to be on i think it was tnt like all the time for like ever and you would just be at your house like on a saturday like cleaning and stuff and you wouldn't necessarily be looking at the tv all the time but you would miss nothing right because every single thing that happens in there there's dialogue (laughs) and voiceover it's like and like i'm not i feel like that is a great movie or a really good movie at least and they're like but it's i get what that person is saying like maybe that's why at least on like the imdb thing like people are like oh yeah that movie i love that movie i, I mean, wasn't confused at all <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it definitely is uh gets a lot of play uh on like amc yeah and some of those i feel like it's just one of those movies that just always tends to be on tv somewhere um uh yeah so yeah we watched a handful of films at uh, proctor's early on and uh that was cool i i i went to see I did go back through and I'm pretty sure I've got all of the movies that I went to go see in the theater like new like new films I've got 10 movies that I went to go see and those 10 are well mo- they're, they're mostly um, your big budget blockbuster tentpole fare um, lots of uh, your superhero comic book films so the first movie i saw in the theater was the lego batman movie which i think they came out in february or january it was early on in the year um and that was enjoyable that was cool uh is it as good as just the lego movie i think lego movie is probably better i think i don't know it's pretty much of the same level it's of the same ilk I sure. get to see any of the various Lego movies. It's weird, right? That like, I remember when they when the Lego movie was coming out. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things of like, you're gonna make a movie about Lego. Like, how is that gonna really work? You know. And there's a Lego Star Wars thing too, right? Well, there's a Lego Star Wars uh, video game series. Oh, they never. It's on a movie. 
Well, actually, there's actually a whole TV show that's like a Lego Star Wars oh, okay. TV show. It's. I always feel weird. Like I. I always think there are a lot of movies and TV shows that exist, and then I find out later. Oh, I watched a commercial for a video game, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they just look like, like uh, Star Wars Battlefront. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is, like, the next one after the the young Solo or whatever, but no, it was just some video game. <laughs> yep, video game. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, like, uh, you know, a Lego Star Wars movie that would come out. I, I, well, I, I don't Disney know. Is Disney own Lego? No. Today they don't, but maybe to, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. Who, who the hell knows? That was a big thing in 2017. <laughs> yeah, Disney just, like, the giant monolithic... Uh, like if, beast that if disney already Walt disney owns birth is just like <laughs> taking on a, it's just crazy it's running rampage across the world just consuming everything if they already own like just the regular classic disney characters and the muppets and star wars no part of your childhood is safe and marvel comics <laughs> yeah and, they will you know. get they will get legos they will get play-doh yeah they will <laughs> they will buy your treehouse it's uh, yeah it's crazy i mean and they kind of already got those with uh, with like Toy Story. So, oh, sort of, yeah. they've sort of like you know like Mr. Potato Head <laughs> is kind of like a Disney character now, and oh, like Slinky man. Dog. You know, they kind of just sort of like repurposed them to be just you know. Maybe Disney buying Fox will finally lead to an official release of Robert Altman's Health. I'm sure that's top priority. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I saw okay. So I saw a Lego Batman movie. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I saw Wonder Woman. I saw The Mummy, which uh, I saw with you, and we have discussed briefly on <sighs> the show before, and are, you know, somewhat disdain for the movie. I saw Spider-Man: Homecoming. I saw It, again with you. I saw Mother. Thor: Ragnarok, Justice League, and Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Th- that was my movie-going experience at the theater, and it's uh, you know. They, I wish I'd seen Mother. That's the one on the list that I am envious of. That's probably my favorite out of the bunch, honestly. I went to dinner with a few people the other night who were uh, not fans of that movie. And they kept, like, kind of talking about it. And I, my friend Steve and I kept chiming in with, like, we haven't seen it yet, we really want to stop. And uh, we don't think anything was spoiled. They didn't say any names or events, they just kept talking about the way in which things were done. So Okay. Yeah, Mother is... I mean, I can't recommend the movie enough. I think it's it's fantastic, and I really love it. Um, but it's hard to really say anything about it, because I, I, it's best to just go in completely cold and not really knowing anything, because, and just let it kind of just do its thing. And, uh, yeah, because that's kind of how I experienced it, and it was just such an amazing ride. It's great to walk into movies that way. It doesn't always happen these days with the way that like advertising works and stuff yeah for sure i mean like i think the 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 least you can paint your expectations the better because when you go into a movie expecting and thinking that you want certain things to happen in a certain way and then you don't get it exactly that way i mean it's you're setting yourself up for nothing but disappointment more on that later. <laughs> More on that later, for sure, when we get to our uh, <laughs> Star Wars The Last Jedi discussion. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, 
I, it's always good to temper your expectations and let a movie be what the movie is Ju- and judge a movie for what it's for what it is and what it's trying to, to say uh, and not so much of like well it's not doing this or it's not saying that and it, I it should have done this you know what I mean yeah. and it, there, you can always criticize a movie and be like well I think they they could have done this better and they should have maybe they should have done this to help strengthen whatever overall theme that they are trying to say but I think it's like I don't know film criticism is, is kind of weird in that way where it's like you don't really look at any other I feel like more than more so than any other art form everybody wants to be like an armchair like mm. director they or you know it's sort of like the the Monday morning quarterback thing where it's like well, I'll tell you what they should have done. <laughs> they should have done this. They're so stupid. Why didn't they do that? And it's like, well, I mean, when you're in the weeds of actually making a movie, there's a lot of things that can, you know, <laughs> that can never, get by you. I've never understood the Monday morning quarterback term because isn't it's Monday night football. So wouldn't it be Tuesday morning? Well, I, mean, I get that there's football on Sundays yeah, too, but I, I always hear the Well, Monday. Sunday is the main day. And then Monday night is just... I guess you could say Tuesday morning quarterback because Monday night football... Because Monday night football is essentially just like one game. There's one game on Monday and there's and it's reserved for Monday Wait, night. There's multiple games on Sundays? Sunday is like there's games all over the place. Oh, uh, okay. I, okay. Clearly, listeners, you might have said I don't know anything about <laughs> football. I just asked you the other day what QB Blitz meant. And I didn't even realize QB was quarterback. I thought it had something to do with Queensberry. A, lo- a local town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so coincidentally, I also saw ten new movies on the big screen this year. Um, the early ones were like I, as our longtime listeners may know, I always try to watch all of the uh, nominees for Best Picture at the Oscars every year. And uh, so the first ones early on 2017 were like holdovers from 2016, mm-hmm. like. Hidden Figures, La La Land, Jackie, which didn't end up getting nominated for Best Picture, but I thought it would be. And I loved it. I thought that was better than the other ones. Um, Manchester by the Sea. I liked all of those. Hidden Figures was the least of those movies. <laughs> I don't know. Did you see Hidden Figures? No, we had it at uh, 190, where I was working as a projectionist. Um... So I saw some of it, but I, I, yeah, I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing. It, it was a good movie. It just, uh, it was very. It's just one know. of those Oscar movies. Yeah, it's like where it's like, oh, yeah. it's important that we recognize that these people did this thing historically. So let's make this movie so everybody knows. Which that that's good, and you know, the, they had good performances. It uh-huh. looked good, and there wasn't really like. I don't know. Like, it wasn't a bad movie. Right. It just it was a movie. It's just an unremarkable movie. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way about Spotlight, which had won Best Picture, not last year but the year before. Yeah, it's I, just I really one of those Oscar movies. Where, it was, I, yeah, it was really great. Yeah, I liked it, but it just is like, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to good to know about you know, and it's just it's not the kind of thing that I'm going to be like. I can't imagine like ever seeking out and rewatching Spotlight again. Yeah. It might be one of those ones. Last I checked, it was on Netflix. That's that's how I ended up seeing that one. Um, or if I'm looking for something to put on in the background while I try to fall asleep, 
Like, it's not a boring movie, but I like to put on movies where there's a well, lot a very, of dialogue. Like, t- yeah, a very talky like, movie. Yeah. Yeah, whereas, yeah. Um, yeah, of those, uh, the ones that I just listed, like, or La La Land and Manchester by the Sea ended up both being nominated. I would have been happy if either of those had won. La La Land did, briefly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I never ended up seeing Moonlight, so I don't know if it was deserved or not, but whatever. Um, but, oh, I remember I when I saw La La Land, I saw it by myself, and there was this, like, really pretty girl sitting, like, three seats away from me. And then, like, this, like, uh, these, like, older people came up and they wanted it was like a packed theater they wanted to get past me and sit in those empty seats between me and that that girl and what i should have done is i should have been like oh i'll move over yeah right and i would have gotten to see this great like romantic movie with the, with this with this beautiful girl and like i could have pretended we were a couple I wouldn't even have spoken to her. I would have just, like, in my mind, I would have been like, I'm seeing this with this beautiful girl. Which is kind of funny because <laughs> I actually, I never saw La La Land. Yeah. But, I again, I, that was a movie that we had uh, at 190 Girl in Cinema where I was working as a projectionist. So I wound up seeing the beginning and the end of that movie, like, you know, probably 30 times. And um, just based on what little I saw, I kind of, like, put together what I thought the movie was about yeah and then i remember i told you i was like wait a minute like can i guess what it is because i thought there was a big sort of like twist reveal going on um but it turns out i was wrong uh so i could say this without spoiling the movie right because i was wrong so it's yeah it's not what it was about Cause, yeah because i thought that the movie was about like you know ryan gosling is this uh jazz pianist or whatever and he's playing this uh this uh at this club where Emma Stone comes in and watches the performance. And I thought it was sort of like the whole movie takes place within the span of, of, of this like night where he's over the, maybe like a couple hours of him where, where he's playing this music and, you know, he's looking out into the audience and he sees her and she's like transfixed on him. And they both kind of have this like shared sort of like uh, imagined life together. Where they're both in, uh, you know, Im- imagination, like La La Land, you know, they're yeah. dreaming of this life that like they could have, and like they're experiencing it through this music, and then when the movie's over, it's like, you know, they snap out of it and they come back to reality, and like, and they don't even really know each other, but they kind of like, you know, as she's leaving the club, it's like, you know, they, they look at each other and are, have this sort of shared like mutual thing of like, oh well, you know, I I already I already have a life, and I'm not gonna, you know. We're not we're not actually going to be together. Like you're veering towards spoiler territory, I think. Okay. I well, I because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I never saw the movie. I only saw like you know you little should. pieces. I of think it. you would really like it. But um, so it kind of sounds like what you were describing. Where like <laughs> I'm going to sit next to this girl and imagine a life together where we are we where we're a couple. And... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder if I had done that, what would have happened at the end of the movie? Mm-hmm. I think we just would have gotten up and left. Yeah, probably. Oh. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I actually saw Hidden Figures, Lala, and Jackie all in the same day because Bowtie Cinema has, they used to have the six dollar Tuesdays. Now it's seven dollar Tuesdays. Outrageous. Um, I saw Hidden Figures with uh, Portia, who lives downstairs from where we're recording this, and then 
she met up with our friends Kate and Erica to see some other movie I wasn't interested in when I went to see La La Land and Jackie. Um, Erica actually ended up, she did see La La Land at some point really loved it, and that led to us going to see The Umbrellas of Cherbourg at Proctor's in the spring, uh, because that was like a huge influence on La La Land. And that was another great movie I saw this year. Um, Manchester by the Sea, That it would have been cool if that won, but... I don't know. I really loved it. Uh, cried a little bit. Laughed a little bit. That was just an all-around great film. Have you seen... Did you end up seeing Manchester by the Sea at all? Nope. That was yet another that we had at the theater, and I never <clears> had a chance to sit down and watch it, because... I mean, when I was working there, when it was Amy's dinner movie, I had all the time in the world to like watch all the movies <laughs> I wanted, but then, yeah, under the new management, I was always busy doing other kind of nonsense BS work, like washing dishes or, you know that kind of thing so i never really had the chance to uh man yeah those were the good old days when i was working at amy's and these movies would come out and i didn't even have to bother they would just come to me and i could just like sit in the theater and just like watch them and whatever yeah but then they had an event at proctor's it was a two-night event where uh they showed uh like horror films directed by women I don't remember what it was called. Um, they showed two feature films and a bunch of short films. Uh, the feature films were Raw and The Love Witch. Which, um, like, officially, kind of like the Oscar movies, they were, like, officially 2016 movies, but they didn't really get a wide release until this year. Um, those were both great. I think everybody should go see Raw and The Love Witch. Um the short films, there were some good ones in there, but it's always a mixed bag when you get, like, a big program of, like, I, maybe, like, 10 to 15 short films. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that uh, I definitely took away with it is there should be some sort of rule where your end credit sequence should be a certain... There should be a certain ratio between the length of your film yeah. and the length of your end credits. And, if your and film the is length, three and minutes And the length long, of your opening credits, too. Because, like, oh I... You know, yeah, like... like if yeah, if you've got like a, a movie that's like less than five minutes long, yeah, a minute and a half does not need to be opening credits. Yeah, or it's just ridiculous. And I get that like when you raise your funds through something like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something to make your film, you know you have to have all the names in the end credits there. Yeah, but absolutely. like maybe like or just scroll faster because some of these or just do the thing where it's like you you, do, you just fade up on the screen and you just have a big list of names and then you can't you know you just like fade between the, the screens of all these names real quick yeah. you don't need to let people sit and like read every single one you know because it was weird because you'd watch this film and even if it like affected you you would then have like this really long time before the next one started because you're just watching the credits for a film that you're already kind of over yeah yeah <laughs> um, no, that's, that's always a killer at uh you know, if you're going to festivals or whatever kind of thing, it's just like, oh my god, these credits. <laughs> well, the, the one other film, the one other new film that I saw in theaters that uh, I didn't see with you was Get Out, the Jordan Peele phenomenon. Yep, to, much to my uh, disappointment and shame, I have yet to see Get Out. I really wanted to see it when uh, when it came out in theaters, and again, we had it at 190. And That's I, where I saw it at your job, yeah. Yeah, while I was working. Yeah, and, you uh, were in the next room while I was watching a movie. And I was, yeah, busy. A uh, really great fucking movie. Yeah, it's uh, that. I think, um, I don't know, that Get Out might be sort of the uh, 
one of the big stories this year mm. in movies i think uh, it, it, it's the success of it the fact that it had like you know went on to you know i mean earn so much money as it did the fact that it was uh jordan peele's directorial debut who he was coming from a world of you know comedy and he you know here he comes and he makes this movie that is uh outside of the, the genre that he's associated yeah. with. And... I mean, it is, it's, it is somewhat of a comedy. I think you said the Golden Globes kind of as a comedy. It's a very dark comedy. Uh-huh. What's tricky about genre with, it's a satire. So it's like, if you have to pick a genre for it to be in, definitely horror film. But because it's like taking a satirical look at like our society and the way, like the races interact and stuff like that, like, um, it has comic elements. You laugh several times throughout, but it's hard to just pin down and be like, it is this movie. It is this genre. It is that genre. Um, but I mean, there's definitely comic elements to it. It's just a great movie. And I really hope you get to see it soon. Max. Oh yeah, no, I really want to. Um, and all these, uh, end of the year lists are coming out. Yeah. Um, and I believe get out, uh, yeah, it topped uh, Sight and Sound's uh, best of list. Awesome. It was the, it was their number one movie. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one that I yeah I really need to see. Um, it's readily available on Blu-ray and you know if is that worth a blind buy? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Maybe I'll maybe I'll pick it up. How much do you? What's what's your limit for? purchasing blu-rays of like new movies uh... i try not to spend more than 15 on a new release like if it's something that's put out by like arrow or criterion or scream factory or whatever like i you know i'll splurge a little bit it well it definitely it, it it's a, it's the difference between something that's like if it's a if it's the kind of release that i'm like hotly anticipating um then i'll definitely throw down you know money on it if it's if it's the kind of releases that come out where i'm like oh yeah like definitely need that like you know one of one of those would have been and i have <laughs> because of the way that my uh my employment situation sort of fell apart a couple weeks ago um and i've just been without the money for it uh one of those would have been uh the uh twin peaks uh the return yeah. season three on blu-ray <clears throat> that's one that's like you know, I'm, you know, that comes out and I don't know, it's like 50 bucks or whatever. Like I'll spend the money on that because it's like, that's something that I desperately want <laughs> and, uh, and desperately need. So there's stuff like that that will come out that it's like, oh yeah, I definitely want that. Um, something like Get Out, which I haven't seen. Uh, I probably wouldn't go more than, uh. Twenty dollars. I mean, okay. On I can. I'm seeing on on Amazon, Get Out is twelve ninety nine with Prime. That's that seems like totally reasonable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I um. I really wanted to see the new Woody Allen film this year, Wonder Wheel, uh, and I missed it. It it was in theaters for a very brief period of time. It came out the same weekend as Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Um. And then, uh, you know, Christmas, I didn't really have that much money. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I'll wait a week or so. And then this past week before 
we're recording this, um, it was at Bowtie Cinemas in Saratoga, one showing a day, 9.45 a.m. So I'm like, there's no way I can do that. The basi- or, uh, or the uh, you know the elderly <laughs> showtime is basically yeah, what that is. which that, I mean, that makes sense. That's who, uh, whenever I would go to a Woody Allen movie in a theater, that's who uh, would be there with that's me. there, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, I guess, you know, maybe it'll be on Blu-ray soon and I'll just check that out. So I looked it up on Amazon, 2590 something. And I'm mm, like, no, yeah, that's, I'm not paying like 26 bucks for a Blu-ray that I know will have limited special features at best. Because that's like Woody Allen's MO usually. Yeah. He doesn't recent, really... recent ones like, uh, Irrational Man and, uh, Magic in the Moonlight. They'll have like a little featurette with like the cast. Because, like, they're all ready to talk about it. But nothing involving him talking about it. Um, yeah, but so I'm going to wait probably sometime this summer. It'll be down to, like, ten bucks, and then I'll pick up a copy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's <clears throat> something that, like, I have... I've just been out of the movie collecting game pretty much entirely lately. Um but it's definitely something that I want to remedy, and that will go into my. Uh, it's sort of part of my 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 move my my film going New Year's resolution, which uh, I guess we'll get to a little, you know a little later when we wrap everything up. Um. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So my biggest missed movie this year is Get Out, and yours is Wonder Wheel. So there you no, go. I wouldn't necessarily say that's my one big. Like... Well, that's the one that you really really wanted to see and didn't get a chance to. Yeah. I can't really think of any others, I guess, but I mean, I don't, <laughs> I do try to see, like, I, I've seen every Woody Allen film so far, so regardless of any reasons people may come forth with to not watch any new ones, I'm like, it's, you know, I'm, it's too late to stop for me. You're in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it would be nice to see it in theaters. Like I saw the la- like I saw Blue Jasmine, Magic in the Moonlight, Cafe Society in theaters. I missed Irrational Man because it came out during a period when I had a girlfriend and I was busy, <laughs> which that that took a big chunk out of my film going experiences for that like year and a half there. But yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I want to see Wonder Wheel at some point. I hear it sucks, but I don't know. I always hear that they all suck. As far as, like, um, non-theatrical film-going experiences, I don't even know if you say film-viewing experiences, I guess, because I wasn't going anywhere. Um, I caught up with some franchises, I guess, this year that uh, had always just kind of, like, been out there, and I never really saw any of them. Um, We talked about one of the uh, Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, Sherlock Holmes movies in our Universal Horror Month this year. Uh, last winter, or I guess this pat winter 2017, um, was the first time I'd seen any of those films, and within two weeks, I watched all 14 of them. Wow, yeah. And um, that I used a vacation day one day and watched, like, five of them, because I, I got the Blu-ray set. And that was, that was time well spent. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I... I saw well i mean we did a whole episode about it um that was our rondo hatton episode yeah, the pearl, pearl of, death. of death um that was the first 
film from that series that I'd ever seen, and I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so that's I'd, I'd like to check out more of those at some point. Um, half of them are definitely good. The other half, I don't know. They're all entertaining. And it's not even like the first half or the second half. It's just like bits and pieces throughout the entire 14 film series. When any series gets to 14 films, oh yeah, there's going to be peaks and valleys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you might start to be able to like predict some things by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I also I watched the the Inner Sanctum films with Lon Chaney Jr., also a Universal series uh, from the 40s. And um, last Christmas, the Christmas 2016, I'm not sure who it was. It might have just been Santa gave me um, a set of Hammer films on Blu-ray. And Hammer, that's one of those, like, you know, I grew up watching the Universal Horror movies, and I was always way into those. Hammer was just kind of, it was out there, I knew it existed, but they weren't always readily available. Yeah. And then I got this set of eight eight Hammer movies on Blu-ray, and I went through those very quickly. And um, were they, they were also kind of hit or miss. Were they kind of a collection of cross, uh, section of, like, Frank, some Frankenstein, some mummies, some Dracula kind oh, of stuff? It was, it was really frustrating. There was... Um, one Frankenstein movie, the, the Evil of Frankenstein, which at least that one is kind of out of the continuity. It's like, because uh, there had already been Curse of Frankenstein and Revenge of Frankenstein. And then the third one was the Evil of Frankenstein. And it was almost like it was a sequel sort of to like the Universal ones. And it kind of ignored the Hammer ones, but it had Peter Cushing. But like the monster in it was like his head was like he had the flat top thing like Karloff had Mm. it was like a different look and everything and it's it's a really good movie to take on its own and it was I really like it but I can understand if you're like a big fan of specifically the Hammer Frankenstein series I can understand being like offended by its existence (laughs) because like it doesn't follow the continuity it does its own thing Um, and like the one Dracula movie in it was The Brides of Dracula which is the second Hammer Dracula movie, which does not have Dracula in it. It has Peter Cushing as uh, Professor Van Helsing fighting another vampire. So, and a lot of them were just like the weird, like kind of the takeoffs on Psycho and the William Castle films. Like they were like the early '60s, like black and white psychological thrillers. And um, it, my after watching the eight films in there. Oliver Reed is in, I think, at least three of them. And my appreciation for his talents definitely grew. I've always been a big Oliver... Not a big Oliver Reed fan. I've always been a, an Oliver Reed fan. But he was really great in his Hammer roles. Curse of the Werewolf, especially. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm remembering that I actually... It was in preparation for our uh, Dracula episode... Uh, which was about the uh, the universal Bela Lugosi Dracula, but uh, I I watched uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which was a Hammer one. It was it was just a random one that I believe was on Shutter. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, I'm, you know they they all tend to blend together when you try yeah. to think about them all. And someday like, I'll try and attack the entire Hammer uh, canon. Yeah, I mean we've discussed this before, but it's just like they really need to get their stuff together and actually release proper box sets of these things so that they just are easier to consume. Once Disney purchases Universal and Warner Brothers, I think then they'll finally be able to have everything. (laughs) 
I think those were the two main U.S. distributors of Hammer films. Okay, yeah, that are everything's all split up between. Yeah, well, it's really annoying because they just they're all over the place, <laughs> and you can never like I yeah I've never seen I've seen maybe about I think maybe three of the Dracula films, mm. and I think two or three of the Frankenstein's. They used to show a lot of them on AMC back when AMC was American Movie Classics, mm-hmm. and now it's. They got their own thing going. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Other uh, 2017 uh, releases. Well, I mean, there were a lot of uh, big movie stories this year. Um, Well, one of them was a uh, movie that was... had been highly anticipated for a long time. Uh, I I mean, this was a movie that was a long time coming. Uh, Justice League. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Dark Tower. Oh no! Well, okay. I never saw. I didn't see a Dark Tower. Neither did I. Yeah, so, so I can't right. really say okay. anything about it. <laughs> but much like Dark Tower, it kind of came out and sort of, uh, I don't know, just bombed. I guess. I mean, Justice League bombed hard. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. It was a pretty disastrous uh, box office reception. Was that a Zack Snyder? It was a Zack Snyder, but there's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes drama surrounding that because he basically he he shot the movie, had like a uh, about like a three-hour assembly cut of the movie, and then unfortunately um, his daughter uh, committed suicide. This is the first I've heard of that at all. Yeah, wow. it was kept. It was kept. Uh, basically, you know, private for that's shockingly, a long time. That's shockingly classy. Yeah, no, it, they, they didn't <laughs> like, really talk about it for a long time. Wow. And he, it, yeah, that happened all the way back in February, or maybe like January or something. It was at the beginning of the year. How old was she? I think she was in her early twenties. Wow. Yeah, really terrible. Um, so he was right smack dab in the middle of like he was getting ready to go into reshoots on the movie and you know working on the edit and everything, but he had an assembly cut. Then that happened, and his initial plan was to just throw himself into the, his work and kind of just like help himself, kind of just get through it, and just be like, I just I'm just gonna get the movie done, and then I'm just gonna you know pull back. But he started getting back into the movie and realized that it just wasn't gonna that he was in no place to be doing it, you know. And his family needed him, so he just bowed out and just left the project. Um, and Joss Whedon came in and took up reshoots. And there's a lot of uh, debate about how much Joss Whedon actually shot on the movie. It, some are saying, you know, it could have been, like, upwards to, like, at least 50%, maybe even a little bit more, of the, of the final film was reshot by Joss Whedon. So the finished movie is a bit of a just a mishmash of uh, different tones and... Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mess. I don't know if I've ever seen anything that Joss Whedon has directed. I've seen things he's like written or produced. Yeah, on like television or, or like films. Well, I saw um, actually this year I saw Cabin in the Woods. Oh right, yeah, he was a producer on that, yeah. And wrote, I think he co-wrote it. Um, and I I saw. Is the movie Firefly or Serenity? Which one's the movie? Serenity. Okay, I saw the movie Serenity. 
right, which I think he directed or at least wrote. I don't know. I haven't so seen. I really Fire don't know him as Serenity, a. So. I don't know him as a director. I know him mostly from TV. You know, like his. Yeah. T- you know, I mean, I I knew him from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and stuff like that back in the day. Zack Snyder, I've seen his Dawn of the Dead, and I think that's it. Um, so. I liked it. I don't know. It was a decent movie, like a decade ago. I don't. Yeah, I don't we know talked about up. it kind of in on our uh, George Romero episode. Yeah, it was like a, it was a fun movie. It doesn't really do anything new with it. It's right. just like, oh, here, that's fun. Um, I don't know if that's. I hear his movies tend to be very dark and gritty and like pessimistic about humanity. Well, at least his uh, his superhero films are. Yeah. Um, well, didn't he also do like three hundred? He did three hundred. Yeah, and from what I remember, I don't remember that being like very dark visually dark at least i don't know if it was visually dark it was or was that just the start like a decade ago of like the darkening of cinemas visually in general cinema the darkening <laughs> um i can't always see what's going on on the screen anymore it's <laughs> no really i mean there they're, yeah it is uh especially when we saw the mummy i was like yeah I don't why understand. is everything at night why is this so yeah it's just yeah it's a pain um but no, yeah, Justice League, man, it, that was a, uh, a I want to say it's a, it was a divisive movie, but it wasn't really, because I think most people could agree that it was, like, not very well done. But it's interesting, like, if you go by the Rotten Tomatoes metric, which I honestly, like, <sighs> don't really like Rotten Tomatoes, and it's not, and it's not really that I have anything against Rotten Tomatoes itself, I just don't like how much attention and uh purpose people sort of like give rotten tomatoes i think they're just like overly uh i don't know like uh people just take too it way too seriously yeah too much value to is it. given to it and people just, t- just take it way too seriously like they use it as advertising not only in tv commercials but like at, at like walmart mm-hmm. they'll have like the little like cards certified that's fresh certain things, yeah. like... and it's just it, it, it's just like this weird uh you know you take this movie and it's like, well, this is the this is the grade. This is the final score. You know, you've gone through the you know your like the critics and the audiences are your you know teacher, and you're doing your homework and you you're taking your test. And it's like, oh, did you pass or did you fail? You know. Yeah. And people just take it way too seriously. I mean, when Justice League came out and it got a bad Rotten Tomato score. Well, actually, when Batman versus Superman came out and it got a bad Rotten Tomato score, there were fans who were petitioning to like. I don't know what they wanted to do, but, like, you know, boycott Rotten Tomatoes or, like, you know, they were taking it out on them because they're saying that they are skewing the votes, and I don't know. It's just, like, so dumb. And also, when uh, when Wonder Woman came out, because fans of the DC comic films have kind of had a rough uh, ride between the reception of Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, which I think is just a, ugh, just a bad movie. And then uh, going into Justice League, not a lot of, uh, you know, hype leading into it. Not a lot of, you know, very tempered expectations. So a lot of, like, fans were really hoping that when Wonder Woman came out, it would be seen as a success. And it was really weird, because when, when Wonder Woman came out and, and everybody liked it, I saw a lot of people online saying, like, not not going back to you know to Twitter and being like oh my god I just saw Wonder Woman it was so great it was like oh my god I just saw the Rotten Tomato score for Wonder Woman it's so awesome 
And, it's, and like, there, I, I swear, there. It seemed like there were people who were more excited that Wonder Woman had a good had a good Rotten Tomato score than they were about the actual movie. Like that's it's like this weird like meta thing that they're like really into, where it's like the the value and the merit of the movie is like definable by think, this score. You know what I mean? Do you think a lot of those people who feel that way about Rotten Tomatoes are people who seek out all these reviews and read them? They find out oh which critics did they take the scores from? No, oh, I should follow. That I don't critic. think so. I think it's just like. Oh, it has a good score. That means it's good. Because I don't even know what the that's just score a point means. for 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 me for for or for this is a point for our team. You know whether it's like oh DC Comics films or whether so it's, it's DC versus Marvel. Basically, is that what how it's they're that? Feeling? But it's also kind of just like I don't know. I mean, Last Jedi comes out and there's a whole another Rotten Tomatoes uh, debacle or or controversy there where it's like the critic score is high, the audience score is low. People who liked last jedi are out there saying like you know oh rotten tomato they're i don't know what the petition even is i don't know what they want rotten tomatoes to do but it's like they're saying that the 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 audience score is faulty and uh you know i didn't even know they had audience scores for rotten tomatoes i thought it was just critics because otherwise (coughs) what does it mean (laughs) no it's split well because it's like anyone can go on to rotten tomatoes and you can rate it you know yeah so there's like it's usually I think it's split between like there's the audience score and the critics and the critics score, um, so it's just a weird thing where it's like if you really like the movie, like say like Last Jedi, and you go and you see that it has a bad or a, a rotten audience score, then there are some people out there who are just like who think that this is just wrong and it must be fixed, it must be changed, thinking that like oh my opinion has to be the thing that has to be validated by everybody else's opinion. You know what I mean? It's just really weird. And I don't, I don't like it. I know what you mean. It's just a hard way of thinking to kind of understand Cause it's like, there are plenty of movies that I enjoy that a lot of people don't enjoy. And, um, like I'll, I'll see like, Oh, a lot of, like, I remember like a few years ago when saving Mr. Banks came out. I don't know why but I'll use that as my example. Um, a lot of people like did not really like it mm-hmm. and I have no idea what its scores were anywhere or anything, but like, um, the general public just seemed to be like, Oh, here's this like schmaltzy revisionist th- thing saying like, Oh, what a great person Disney is and everything. And like, and I read it as like, that's what the movie's about. Um, and like, I wanted to have a conversation with the people who didn't like it. I wanted right. to be like, Oh, well the way I read it was it's about like, this author who wrote Mary Poppins, I forget, uh, P.L. Travers, I think was her name. Um, and like, she kind of wrote the character of uh, Mr. Banks as like a tribute to her dad, who in flashbacks we see was like, not the greatest dad, but she sort of like wrote this book where like his character is like, he is like this great dad. And she like saw it through a different light. And then the film itself it's like if Walt Disney has like an offspring aside from actual biological children, it is Disney, like his studio. And like, they're making this film saving Mr. Banks and they're looking at 
Walt Disney through the same lens that P.L. Travers was looking at her father through. Right. And I was looking at this movie and I was like, wow, this is like really like, deep the way they're doing yeah, this. Yeah, there's like some kind of cool stuff going on there. Yeah. But like nobody seemed to be like picking up on it in any reviews I was reading or just like comments people were writing online. And it didn't make me angry at them. It just made me want to be like, hey, have you thought about it this way? Yeah, I, that's the thing that I just don't understand is that the idea that like just because somebody else has a different or just because like the majority might have a different opinion like somehow invalidates your own opinion it's just like it and also like people like yeah people can not like a movie that you like and it shouldn't affect you at all because it's just like well that's that's their opinion opinions it will only like affect you if you let them affect you you know what i mean and you can have like and you know good conversations where you're talking about like the the pros and cons of something or criticizing something that you like and you can discuss it but it's just like people for some reason take it way too seriously but like you know mother was a good example of a movie that came out and that just got like absolutely lambasted uh critically um there's there's the cinema score as well which i don't really follow that as much um but it's sort of like a, an amalgamation like a uh a metric that they sort of take a bunch of reviews and sort of condense them into a grade much like rotten tomatoes i think hmm. but uh and you're given like a, a cinema score and i think like mother has like the lowest cinema score since i don't know some it's like one of the lowest that, that they've ever had and it's like okay i mean i think (laughs) like honestly i was i read a lot of like the negative uh criticism of it and i thought a lot of it was kind of just like too far or whatever but like that doesn't affect my enjoyment of the movie or it doesn't make me think like oh well we need to stop like people from talking about it or expressing their own feelings about it it's like if you didn't like it that's fine you know like you can you're allowed to not like a movie i'm thinking like i i haven't seen mother uh hopefully i will someday soon um (coughs) But, like, when I hear people talk about it, even if they didn't like it, they seem, it sounds like they're very interested in it. Like, it engaged them on some level. And I'm just thinking about all the movies I've seen over the years that have not engaged me on any level. Right. And to think that their scores wouldn't be as low. Or is this just new movies that come out get this score? The cinemas. I know Rotten Tomatoes has, like, They'll do older movies, which right. I have very but, mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I, I <laughs> because it, like obviously the metric is going to be different because it's like if you're, you know, reviewing something that like just came out as opposed to something that you've had 20, 25, 30, 40 years to sort of like marinate on. It's a totally different, you know, lens that you're looking at things. Or even if the, like Rotten Tomatoes, if the only reviews they have available to them are like, well... You know, Bosley Crowther in the New York Times wrote this in 1953, <laughs> so we're gonna have to go by that review, right? right? So that's the, and like, no. <laughs> like I really don't know like what they look at for old movies, or if they just look at. Online I think it's I, th- I think it's like new reviews of old movies. Oh, as shit. far as I know, that's ridiculous. Which the, yeah, that's, that's what I'm worthless. <laughs> that's that means nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's what it's just like. You know, you really just gotta stop like looking at Rotten Tomatoes so much. But anyway, that was one of the big things that I noticed this year was that like so much emphasis was being placed on on Rotten Tomatoes, and I just was like turned off by it. Um, 
another thing that I was uh, turned on by, let's say. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting because I brought up the uh, the sight and sound uh, list that came out this year. Yeah. Of their top, I don't know if it was top 10 or top 20 uh, films of 2017. I said number one was Get Out. Mm. Number two... Did have you seen this list? Do you know what I'm no, talking about? No, I, okay. I haven't seen the list. Number two on the list of the top films of 2017 was Twin Peaks: The Return. Interesting. Well, Sight and Sound. That's uh, there. They are. I almost said un-American. They're <laughs> they are not an American publication. Did did Twin Peaks: The Return play theatrically? Uh, I don't believe so. Yonder? Well, I, I I know that it played the first. I think two episodes played at uh, Cannes. Mm. Okay. So I don't know if that like counts, but they were taking it as the entire eighteen episode thing, and they described it as an eighteen hour long movie. And that I feel like that's how David Lynch made it, right? It wasn't shot as a film. It wasn't like all right, this week we're going to shoot this episode. Yeah, they shot it all mixed up together. Um, I mean, they essentially wrote one big script yeah. for it and then just shot, you know, everything all, yeah, all mixed up. Which and is then, how it feels. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, my question to you is, like, I mean, how do you feel about, like, this sort of blending, which I think is only going forward, I think is only going to get, the lines between these things are only going to get more blurred. But the idea of, like, well, you know, what makes a film a film, what makes a limited series a tv show what makes something streaming uh you know a tv show as opposed to i think it's just becoming more and more all just like one thing you know what i mean yeah if i um i don't know it's not because like there are some movies that are like made for tv and then they get um distributed like in other countries like theatrically like uh, Duel, the Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. That's a TV movie. Yeah, t- yeah, made for TV movie. But it was shown on the big screen, like in Europe and stuff. Yeah, and, and it's um, like, if it's made for TV, but it still is like, it adheres to like, basically, it was shot like a film. It's yeah. like, got a runtime of a film. And like, the, you can show it in a theater. It's a film. Yeah, there's, I mean, TV movies, there have been TV movies since there's been TV, basically. But they're but always sort like, of relegated to this subsection. Yeah. Where it's like, you'll see, like, you know, like, Spielberg's filmography, and often, so there are some times where Duel isn't even included, because it's like, well, it's not technically a film, which is really weird. And, like, uh, was it like Joe Dante's The Second Civil War, which I love, that was re- released theatrically overseas. Um, but it's like, the I mean, everybody, like... I'm not sure exactly when the conversation started. I don't remember if it was like around the time of The Sopranos, if it was that long ago, where people were like, oh, TV is where it's at. Movies right. today suck. TV is where it's at. Yeah, I think Sopranos um, definitely kind of started that. Like, it was a big sort of like awakening of like, oh, wow, you can you can do this on TV. Yeah, and like that was around the same time I think Deadwood was going on. Um, and, like, there is great stuff going on on TV. Unfortunately, I don't get to see a lot of it, just because I don't know why. I, something in my mind keeps, like, I don't want to fall into the whole binge thing, because mm-hmm. then I'm not doing anything else with my life ever. Um, like, the, the one... Well, I did Twin Peaks this year. I actually... I'd never seen the original series all the way through. So, like, within the span of a month, I watched the original two seasons and then 
firewalk with me and then the missing pieces and then the entire return <laughs> yeah uh that was that was a hell of a summer and you caught uh, yeah you, you <laughs> managed to catch up right before the uh the finale yeah i, I got to watch that uh, on the big screen yeah, and see, it felt and, like a movie and that's the, the thing is like yeah because i was working at the uh the theater at the time i was able to you know basically go in after hours when the when the twin peaks finale was on and uh brought in some friends we took over the theater it was a nice dinner and movie things we had like you know pizza and drinks and everything and donuts yeah it was pretty nice way to do it yeah it was uh and and yeah like that's the thing is like you can watch these things on the, the lines are blending in the way where it's like before the internet really like tv was something that happened on the tv screen movies for the most part were things that happened on the big screen and yeah like with home video it kind of started to bring things over but it's like you know, there are plenty of, like, uh, TV shows that get, like, limited theatrical runs for, like, certain episodes. You know, like, oh, we're going to have, like, you know, the season... Like, they'll do, like, season premiere of Game of Thrones. We'll be, like, one night only at these, like, movie theaters or whatever. You know what I mean? And... Yeah, so, I don't know. I thought it was interesting to see Twin Peaks pop up on that list. I think it's well-deserved. I think it's, like, one of the most remarkable... Uh, film i mean i i mean i will i'll call it a film experience you know i mean it's it's totally something new and something provocative and especially for television i think it's just like it's unlike anything else um did you watch the people versus oj simpson no i didn't that was one that i i i wanted to but because like that i forget how many episodes there are maybe let's say 12 hours yeah i think so. that was like a limited thing right yeah yeah because uh, it was the first of, like there there's the people who did american horror story now they're doing american crime story that was the first one now they're doing the murder of uh versace um that's gonna start in a couple weeks i think but the people versus oj simpson i'm like i said i i am always very wary about like binge watching because then i just get stuck and it's like 12 hours and i watched it twice this year and it's like if i am including like tv stuff that is definitely one of the best movies i've seen right because and what's the difference great, between that it's, like it's a 12 hour long movie that convinced me uh i guess another big cinematic thing for me this year is i finally watched face off for the first time <laughs> and yeah, the, you've been talking about face off a lot <laughs> it's a really just insane fucking movie <laughs> um the reason i finally decided to watch it is because the people versus oj simpson john travolta plays Shapiro in it and he is great and he plays it in a very like campy style and I'm like I want to see him do a Nicolas Cage impression that's gotta be amazing and it was um and aside from Travolta it also had like uh Nathan Lane as F. Lee Bailey Nathan Lane usually he's put in like certain kinds of roles where he's sort of like playing a very flamboyant character Mm -hmm. and in this he's just like this very like stern like old-fashioned drunk guy and he does it just perfectly Cuba Gooding Jr. an actor I have no real opinion on whatsoever uh and like he played OJ he was great David Schwimmer was great that like I mean (laughs) I always thought David Schwimmer was I he was like my favorite part of Friends Yeah, he was good on Friends. But I I don't think about, like, oh, I'm going to watch this movie where David Schwimmer is playing a very serious role and just being, like, dead on perfect. I just always thought that he was rather underestimated uh, when people would talk about um, 
him. I mean, well, that's like, a trick with friends. ensemble cast. Yeah, because it, like they, all the pieces fit together so well. That yeah, you, like they kind really, of blend in. But yeah. like he always stuck out to me as somebody who was like doing something really, uh, really great. But, like, but yeah, I never you never really get an opportunity to see him in a lot of movies. And this is a great or, thing. I mean, well, yeah, like, this is a great thing about like the shift of focus to television series is that people who if a studio is like, well, this guy can't carry a film, they'll still put him in a TV show and they'll kind of prove themselves. I mean, you think about, like, how long did Brian Cranston struggle in supporting roles and things until finally he gets, yeah, like, Breaking yeah. Bad? And, it's and then like, suddenly, yeah, his career kicks into <laughs> high gear and he's now, you know... It's like, what, know, the dentist from Seinfeld is yeah, now this huge star? What? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, and he's, like, well past, you know, what would be considered, like, the prime of your acting career for like a leading man hmm. you know he's much older but uh yeah he just starred in uh this year it was the leading the titular character in lbj which i did not see i forgot but... that existed <laughs> yeah that kind of <laughs> yeah kind of flew in there but, i remember uh... hearing about it before it came out did it come out it did yeah come it out? came out okay. a couple months ago i think we again we're in upstate new york we don't always they don't always come here we're still not sure if Battle of the Sexes or Itanya actually came out already. Yeah, I actually think, uh, well, according to this list, I think Itanya came out in December 8th, but I don't know if that's the limited release yeah, date that's... or if it's the wide. So I, I don't know. but If it gets nominated for something at the Oscars, I'm sure it'll make it'll its way show up here up, for yeah, a few yeah. weeks. So anyway, yeah, Twin Peaks, that was a, that was a huge thing, and uh, if anybody's listening to this who has never seen Twin Peaks, I would highly recommend going back and, and watching the show from the very beginning. And, uh, yeah, watch the first two seasons from the early 90s, then watch the movie Fire Walk With Me, and then watch uh, Twin Peaks The Return, or season three, which came out this year. And, uh, boy, oh boy, yeah, it is, it is quite the ride. I mean, David Lynch has he proved himself once again uh, that he is just one of the most creative and uh, most unique filmmakers working today and I just am so thankful that we got an 18 hour long David Lynch movie this year that's just uh, so good a pure bliss for those for those like couple months that that show was coming out I, it was making my week every single week every Sunday I was just like so happy to that this was happening <laughs> so great never thought it would happen What, um, of all the films, not necessarily new films, just, like, uh, all the films you finally, like, caught up with or discovered this year, didn't even know existed and just watched, is there one that, like, sticks out to you as, like, oh, thank God I found this this year? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it on the, sh on the show, but, uh, Phantom of the Paradise was one that I was, like, I think I even said in the episode, like, I don't know how <laughs> the hell this movie has escaped from the, escaped me for this long. Because it was just, uh, yeah, it was really damn good, and uh, I have been, I mean, those songs have been stuck in my head ever since then, and uh, yeah, really, really great movie. Um, I could bring up, a lot, you know, a lot of the movies that we talked about on the show, but I yeah. feel like, you know, they can speak for themselves in their own episodes, but uh, yeah, I think out of, the, out of all the, the batch of movies that we talked about uh, this year on the show... That one definitely sticks out is is one that I uh yeah, really uh became sort of an instant favorite of mine. For me, um this isn't one we talked about on the show at all, but 
so we did discuss how we went on Halloween to Proctor's to see the Beyond, and then before the movie, we walked around town a little bit, and we went into like this like used music shop that had like DVDs and stuff. Yeah. And I randomly bought a box set. It was like Warner Gangsters Volume Three uh, for ten bucks. <laughs> and I hadn't seen any of the movies in the box set, and I got it. And I went through. Uh, I made it halfway through so far, but one of them was this 1933 film directed by Lloyd Bacon called Picture Snatcher. I'd never heard of this before. I had no idea what it was going to be going in. And it was just, um, I think the best word for it is delightful. It's, it, was, it was a delight. It had James Cagney, who was, it's, it's not a comedy, it's, it's basically genreless. It's, he's hilarious in it. It's like watching like a stand-up or something. Like he's just like this clown just going through like what could be a very, like if you were just to take the plot of the film it's like this gangster gets out of jail he decides to go straight he becomes what we would now call like a paparazzo for like a scandal sheet um and then you know he ends up learning like some lessons about right and wrong and exploiting people uh like it could be done very seriously but it's just it's got these like great like side characters which whenever we're talking about old films that always kind of comes up yeah. Um, Ralph Bellamy's in it as this alcoholic editor who's trying to reform himself. If you can find it, I highly recommend Picture Snatcher. It's just, I've seen it three times. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you just, watched it three times? I watched this three, like, I'm always, <laughs> I'm trying to see all these movies I've never seen before. And, like, that one, it just, like, struck me. Just, like, I'm just the right level. I've seen it three times since, uh, since like the first week in November. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, the last thing, uh, that happened this year, the, the, one of the big things, um, especially for me personally, but definitely one of the biggest movies of the year, um, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Episode 8 came out, finally. Um, and it was... Uh, boy, to say that that movie is divisive is uh, a bit of an understatement. Which is surprising, because it's the best of these movies so far. The best of uh, these Disney Star Wars movies, or the best of these Star Wars movies overall? Just movies. Ah, the best, the Mo- best of these the things. The best movie <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> no, um... I don't know, it's, it's really... They're all their own thing on so many levels that it is hard to compare them. Uh, so I'm not going to say that it's the best. Uh, but I came away from this one feeling the most positive about it. Because, uh, I mean, The Force Awakens, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but a big part of it was like, oh, I can, I'm finally seeing like Leia and Han and everything after so many years. Like That was the yeah. first Star Wars movie I saw on the big screen. Um, and like Rogue One, I really enjoyed it. was like a whole different, it was like a grittier kind of downbeat thing, despite the hope at the end. Right. Um, but this was just like, I, there's nothing else for it. I had no real expectations. It's like the middle part of a trilogy. So I figured like, well, this is just going to be like bringing stuff over from the first one, setting stuff up for the next one. And I'm sure I'll enjoy it. But like what I, it was just really great. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, that you enjoyed it. I say that as if I made it, but uh, no. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So, yeah, I guess let's just get into this thing. Uh, Last Jedi. We did a, uh, a Star Wars episode uh, two episodes ago. We where we discussed uh, Phantom Menace. Um, I think anybody who listened to that episode is is very clear that like I am a person who enjoys Star Wars films. Max is a Star Wars fan. <laughs> There's like, yeah, because like I'm a fan of Star Wars films, but I would never call myself a Star Wars fan. Right. Max is definitely a Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Star Wars is uh, kind of my happy place. <laughs> it's the thing that kind of like tethers me to, you know, my childhood in so many ways, and like you know keeps me feeling, I don't know, feeling young and connected to my friends and family and all of those things that are just rolled up into it. So yeah, Star Wars is a big part of my life actually. Uh, um, to some, you know, sometimes to greater degrees than others, but. Uh, Definitely for Last Jedi, I was super pumped going into it because, mainly for one reason, one reason only, it was finally going to be the return of Luke Skywalker, which, you know, childhood hero, finally coming back, and the anticipation after Force Awakens was just, like, sky high, because he had one of the best introductions into a movie <laughs> I don't know, it's just like ever <laughs> at the end of Force Awakens, it's just like one of the most amazing uh, moments that I can remember seeing in a, in a movie theater of just like, because the, the, essentially Force Awakens is just like one big build up to like finding Luke Skywalker and then, you know, the that the beautiful John Williams score, uh, Jedi Steps as Rey is climbing those steps and then uh, you know, the, the score swells and we've finally see jedi master luke after all these years and he turns around and says nothing and it's we're just left on this cliffhanger um so yeah i've been uh definitely anticipating uh this movie to see where luke skywalker is gonna go and uh thanks to ryan johnson we have the answer of what luke has been up to all this time ever since we left him in uh, 1983 at the end of Return of the Jedi and uh, the answer is somewhat challenging somewhat hard to take and I think a lot of people have had has had a really uh, tough time uh, sort of reconciling the movie I think specifically for a number of reasons but I think one of the big ones is like how Luke Skywalker is handled in, the, in this movie um, so I'm just curious as somebody who as you say, you enjoy the Star Wars films, and but you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Star Wars fan. Like, you you love the movie, yeah. So, what did you think about like where Luke Skywalker was at, and like, because this is a this is a much different Luke than we're used to seeing. I mean, I feel like everything that was said in the Force Awakens leading up to this, basically, what what were they expecting? He is somebody who he tried to train new Jedi. Right. Uh, didn't work out. One of them snapped and killed all the other ones. And not just one of them, like his own nephew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was also, he felt like like he had disappointed, you know, his sister and his friend Han. Because um, he, like, ruined their, their son. Um, and he'd become disenchanted with the Force. And he went into hiding. You know, the, the, first, the Force Awakens, they're trying to, like, find the map to find out where did Luke Skywalker go. Everybody's looking for Luke Skywalker. 
did they think that she was going to show up there and he was going to be like, hey, Ray, yeah. I've been waiting to train you. Let's do this. Like, I think, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of people that were, because I mean, like, they didn't watch The Force Awakens then, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't understand. Well, look, I mean, like, I watched The Force Awakens and there was a lot of speculation of, like, who is Ray, who are Ray's parents. Yeah. And I thought, like, leading into it, there was still a very good chance that, like, Luke Skywalker could be Ray's father. Yeah, he could be. We still don't really know. Well, I mean, it's kind of told to us in Last Jedi, but it's told to us by Kylo Ren. Who We're gonna trust could that guy. Be an unreliable he source of information. Could be. And also, I don't know. Well, the way he says, um, like, to Ray, you know, right up front. We're just. Gonna, I mean, clearly, spoilers, everybody. Oh yeah, I guess we should have <laughs> said that. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for The Force Awakens. Spoilers for every Star Wars movies up, movie up to this point. Yes. Yeah. Like, any... any If you're listening in the future, and, you know, any Star Wars movie that came out 2018 beyond, we don't know. Whatever. We're not going to spoil those, because we don't know. But just... Anything yeah. pre-Last Jedi is up for... Is up... Up, up yeah. for grabs. But, like, he says that, like, um... Kylo Ren says that Rey came from no one. Like, her parents were nobodies. Right. And, you know, she, he says, like, on some level, you knew this, and she's crying, and she's mm-hmm. like, yeah. And it's like, uh, I felt, I mean, no one is no one. Everyone is someone. It was weird to say, like, your parents were nobody is no one. Um, and, like, it doesn't necessarily mean, just, like, you know, maybe it's not Luke. But, like, you think of, at the very end of the movie, you got those little kids in the stable. Right. We don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff outside of this main group of characters going on. They're spreading these midi chlorians like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, we could find out in the next one that like, maybe it was Luke, maybe he was lying, or maybe it's just some other side character that we haven't thought of. Maybe Yoda had something going on. Like, maybe she's Yoda's granddaughter. Great, 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 great granddaughter. Maybe he the descendant of somebody he had sex with 900 years ago <laughs> now that would be a twist <laughs> um yoda who shows up in this movie <laughs> yep, as in is. puppet form yeah um that was a pleasant surprise this movie was full of pleasant surprises for me and i like again not as a star wars fan nothing that surprised me led me to be like i'm outraged mm-hmm. i was just like oh this is a nice ride they're taking me on yeah, because there, there definitely is a lot of, like, you know, unexpected things that happen. And, like, the, the plot is always going in a direction that, like, you never really... I was on the edge of my seat first time around watching it. I, I should say I've seen the movie three times now. And, uh, yeah, first time around, I was... Uh, I, yeah, honestly did not know where things could be going. You know, it's like, is Kylo Ren going to be turning to the light side? Is Rey going to be turning to the dark side? Who is going to actually die? I mean, there were definitely moments where I thought for sure that, like, you know, I, like, I was convinced that, like, at the, in the end there that like, Finn was, was done for. I was like, wow, this really is, he's going to die right now. Like, that's crazy. Um, so I never really knew, like, it, everything seemed like it was up for grabs. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, Occasionally I would predict something. <laughs> and, but it wouldn't be like, oh, I see where this is going, whatever. I'd be like, oh my god, they're actually going to do this? Like, when uh, Kylo Ren... And Ray. Well, in that moment, I guess he's Ben. And Ray kind of team up against Snoke. Yeah. Like, 
I kind of saw the moment where it's like, is this actually going to happen? And yeah. I just got really excited. Yeah, I mean, that was that's definitely one of the highlights of the movie for sure. Is that scene? It was such just such a great moment when uh, yeah when Kylo turns on Snoke and cuts him in half with that lightsaber in maybe the best set of the of the new films the whole that red room yeah and it was kind of cool because like and it i didn't notice it the first time around but like it's actually uh yeah that throne room there like the red is just like curtains essentially in front of a big the the walls are all like a big window out Mm. to space and uh because what happens is like the during their their lightsaber battle or during their fight with with the guards the the curtain the red curtain gets caught on fire and as it, the fire spreads you re, the the window is revealed um and it was one of those things that like you know because when you're first time around you're just watching all this other crazy stuff and you're not really noticing that but i yeah it's it is a really interesting uh set choice yeah i mean just that stark red which just it immediately put me in the mindset of like uh like a mario baba dario Argento, like some sort of like italian horror movie red yeah 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 for sure <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like okay they got a little something for me here too not just the star wars people <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a mighty fine red you got there <laughs> but i feel like i i the reviews that i read were like actual reviews by like actual critics not necessarily just like random, random people online internet, twitter and people. like I didn't read many. I like I brightlightsfilm.com. Uh that's one that like that's like my go-to website because a lot of the stuff on there is about older movies. <laughs> but they also cover like new stuff that comes out. Um but like also like the first four things on the IMDb uh external review page were like you know like rogerebert.com the New York Times, The Village Voice, Sight and Sound. Like, those are the ones I read, because, like, okay, I know all of those sites, and, like, the crit, like, for Sight and Sound, they had Kim Newman do it. Kim Newman, he's actually an expert on Italian horror. He, like, I have his book Nightmare Movies about, like, it's, like, a history of horror from, like, the late 60s up till the late 80s. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm curious what he thinks about it. They were all very positive reviews. Mm -hmm. And, um... And yet I keep hearing that, like, you know, there's there's a, a lot of the, like, hardcore fans are not very happy with it. Yeah, and I, I think it comes down to basically what we were talking about before, which is your own personal expectation and baggage with what Star Wars means to you, what these characters mean to you, and potentially two years' worth of speculation and... Uh, uh, predictions about like who are Ray's parents, who is Snoke, you know why is Luke Skywalker on this island, you know, Snoke is Jar Jar, Luke is Ray's <laughs> father, uh, Poe and Finn are in love. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, there are a lot of you know, and and I'm totally you know guilty of that. I mean, for this whole year, I've been just like trying to speculate on like you know what i think is going to be going on in this movie and i was definitely prepared uh well in advance i think like the i think the the messaging of the trailers and the teasers was good i think it was really good because it definitely prepared me for the idea that like okay this luke skywalker is he's the he's the reluctant teacher he's not like obi-wan he's not like yoda he's not going to be there saying like you know like obi-wan was just like waiting on you know for luke to say like 
yeah, I want to learn the ways of the Force to become a Jedi like my father. Yeah. That's like Obi-Wan's been waiting like Luke's whole life for that moment. You know, he's like wants to train him. This is Luke is not going to be that guy. And I think like it, it was a smart choice to go the, the opposite direction because it would have just been like just turning Luke into another Obi-Wan, like I don't think would be very interesting or compelling. Um, but the thing with Luke is like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been, you know, I, okay. I really did enjoy the movie and over the course of these three times watching it, I think it's a great movie. I really do. And there are moments in this that I just think are like so fantastic and, and are some of the best, uh, I think really worthy of like some of the best star Wars moments. I think a lot of the things they do with the characters are really great. Um, and even like Luke Skywalker, I think like, uh, I mean, how great was, was the end when, I mean, the reveal again, spoilers, <laughs> the reveal of when Luke is battling, uh, Kylo Ren on, on, on the planet crate, the reveal that he's not actually there and is meditating back on the Island and like projecting this image of himself through the force was just absolutely jaw dropping to me it just it blew me away i was like holy crap that is so cool um and we should have like when they're blasting him with all their ammunition yeah. he's not affected at all yeah. it seems like that's the point where we'd be like oh he's probably just like a hologram or something <laughs> well like i <laughs> was just... i was definitely of the mind of like okay we saw leia's space bubble earlier maybe that's just what he's doing <laughs> right I, I the thing that stuck out to me was the lightsaber because it the, it was the same lightsaber that uh, Ray and Kylo Ren had literally just destroyed uh, back on in Snoke's throne room, and he there he is and he's clipped to his belt and then he whips it out and he's holding it and I'm like wait a minute like what the how does he have that did he con-? but in the moment I'm just like whatever they'll explain it later <laughs> you know I just like I, I you know this is just so awesome. Um, but I knew that something was kind of up and I didn't know. I mean, when, yeah, when he was blasted, I was like, okay, is he already a force ghost? Did he like die? And then it's just like, he's already dead somehow. But, uh, but then he wouldn't be appearing to all of them. He would only be appearing to ones with the force, right? Isn't that how that works? That's how it has worked up until now. But I mean, this movie kind of like, you know, and, and that's another thing that like hardcore fans are kind of like, iffy on and not as a lot some people really don't like it is this display of all these new force abilities because it is like okay well we haven't really seen this kind of stuff before but i, I, I think it's yet. all great like I, I as a star wars fan i'm just like anytime that they get into like the nitty-gritty of the force i think it's like it's really great and i, I love that stuff and i think like ryan johnson handled that with uh with great care and i think like it was all legit, like, uh, with what he was sort of saying about the Force and and the balance and the Jedi and the Sith and all that. I think, like, the... the I think for a lot of general audiences, the idea that Luke Skywalker would be the guy who's saying it's time for the Jedi to end, I'm, I want it to be over, I'm going to burn the tree down with the book, I think that's, like, for a lot of people, was kind of a hard pill to swallow, you know? And like I'm kind of I'm for I'm, general audiences or for Star Wars. Well, I think for yeah, a, for a lot of people, because um, I feel like who better to make that decision mm-hmm. than the one that we watched evolve in the first trilogy? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, uh, I mean, I really like a lot a lot of that. I think 
think overall the Luke Skywalker that we have in this movie is uh, really, for the most part, really great. And Mark Hamill just absolutely knocked it out of the park. And when he, when the bits of like the original, like the boyish Luke Skywalker show through, like when he sees R two D two, yeah, like that's the, all of a sudden it's like it's nineteen seventy seven again. And yeah, he's excited. That's one of the, my favorite parts of the movie. I mean. Yeah, he just there's a look on his face and just the tone in his voice where suddenly like you said i mean he's like, that R2. yeah he's that guy he's that young you know farm boy again and it's just it, it yeah mark hamill rode that line so well like it was it was a nuanced performance it was like a new uh facet to the character yet it still felt like that young Luke Skywalker that we know was still in there. Um, but I mean, I got, you know, the thing that I've been sort of like struggling with is like, is it a good choice? I mean, like the idea that like, we're going to take this character who, because Luke Skywalker's greatest achievement in the original trilogy is in return of the Jedi, when he redeems Darth Vader, Yeah, he's able to look at Darth Vader you know, the most intimidating and one of the greatest movie villains ever and say, like, there is still light in him. You know, it's not fully gone and he is redeemable. And then in Last Jedi, we find that he basically had to go through that same quandary again with his nephew. Only this time, he draws the lightsaber on him and wants to end his life. This young boy who hasn't even done anything yet. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, is that Luke Skywalker? You know, is that who this character is that we've gotten to know over the course of all these films? The same guy who was able to like look at Darth Vader and, and say that there is light in him is looking at his own nephew, a young boy, and saying, like, even if it is for the briefest of moments, like, you know... I have to I have to end this now. In the like Rashomon like flashbacks. Right. Which are these the first flashbacks in in the Star Wars movies? These are the first flashbacks, yes. Unless you count um in Force Awakens we kind of had the uh what is sort of unofficially referred to as the Force back when Rey touches the lightsaber hilt and we kind of get glimpses of her past. Um well that's I feel like that's similar to like when Luke goes in like that tree or whatever in Return of the Jedi, or is it Empire Strikes Back? In Empire Strikes Back, yeah. Which I, I haven't <coughs> seen the original trilogy in I don't know. It's been more than ten years, mm-hmm. and like there, like so many of my memories of them are being uh, overtaken by my memories of the Family Guy versions of them. <laughs> So, like, I'm a little sketchy on those. Yeah. Despite the fact of being like, well, those, like, well, I like the new ones, but I'm like, well, those are the real ones from back then. And yet I I don't even remember them as well as the new ones. <laughs> Someday I'm going to sit and just watch all the way through in, like, a week or something. Right. Yeah, Rogue One kind of had a flashback. Well, it actually definitely it starts... did have a, It starts with a, with a flashback, but then later on in the movie, we get another little glimpse of of the past with a little flashback um of Jin as a as a kid okay it's 
I only saw that in theater. Last night, randomly, I was flipping around Netflix, killing time while my sister was, like, trying to put her son to bed because we were going to watch Arrested Development. So, like, while she was doing that, I was, like, watching random things, and I watched the first 20 minutes of Rogue One yesterday. And I forgot that it basically starts the same way as Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah, it's definitely Inglorious <laughs> Bastards, right? That Yeah, that was that's the vibe that I get. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, that's another thing with this movie that I kind of have... I'm not sure how I really feel about it, is uh, Last Jedi... And it's something that sort of has, has started with... Um, with all three of these these Disney films, uh, Star Wars films, but really Last Jedi kind of pushes it even further, is we're kind of like moving away from the cinematic language that George Lucas had used with Star Wars, where I feel like, you know, Star Wars, what makes it what it is, is more than just the stories and the characters and the way that, and the design of things, you know, it's more than just like, the ships and the lightsabers and the and the force and all that kind of stuff. It's the it's the way that it's shot. It's the way that it looks. It's the way that it's edited. It's and very straightforward. Yeah, it's very straightforward. You know, it's very like uh, you know, it doesn't really like George Lucas would never have had like flashbacks in the way that like all three of these Disney films have had. Mm. He and and Ryan Johnson kind of took you know things even further with and it's little things like um the use of like slow motion is something that like has never been a part of any star wars movie i think maybe in rogue one it did it maybe if i'm i don't know maybe if i'm remembering but definitely certainly not in george lucas's three star wars films i can't think of a single time and i could be mistaken so if if there is a part there is like a shot or something and maybe in the prequels that i'm that i'm forgetting about it's very possible but it's like as far as like the actual because i'm thinking of that that tree scene again where isn't it when it ends and he sees his face behind the mask ah yes you're right that isn't that is in slow motion okay but it's but it's within like a it's too to <laughs> yeah it's to an effect of like a hazy vision dream kind yeah. of feeling it's not like for uh, sort of action-y purposes. There is one apparently somewhat controversial use of a cinematic technique in The Last Jedi. Uh, I found this on a... It was in an article on uh, Jezebel.com, of all places. Which, because Jezebel.com, I thought it was going to be going a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like, usually they deal with things having to do with feminism. Right. Uh, But this had nothing to do with any of that. It was... um, AMC theaters that the theater chain had put up right. notices yeah, yeah, yeah. at a few of those. Paul Shear shared an image of it on his Facebook account, and at AMC uh, theaters they put up these signs that said, "Please note, the Last Jedi contains a sequence at approximately one hour and fifty-two minutes into the movie, in which all sound stops for about ten full seconds. While the images continue to play on the screen, you will hear nothing." This is intentionally done by the director for a creative effect. Yeah, I don't know why they needed to spell that out. I assume it's because there were people who left the theater and, you know... They complained. Complained about, like, hey, I think there was a uh, something wrong with, with, the, with, the, with the projector or the sound system. And, like, I've seen many movies that use silence for... Like, I don't... The, the headline of the Jezebel article by uh, uh, Amy Lookin... 
I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, Amy Lookin. Um, the headline is, maybe people should refresh themselves on what movies are before seeing <laughs> The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, no, really weird. I don't know how, like, that's just such a strange thing. I don't know how anybody could watch the sequence in question, which is it's the sequence, um, again, spoilers, I don't know if we need to keep saying that, but yeah. it's the sequence where uh, Laura Dern's character, Emmeline Haldo, uh, great character, pilots the uh, the resistance cruiser at light speed into the First Order fleet, and uh, there is a pretty striking image of the, uh, it, it almost goes like monochromatic, like black and white of, of these ships just getting torn apart and it, it's all silence without sound and uh, very effective scene for sure, I mean it puts quite a punctuation mark on that whole thing just by sucking all the sound out um, but I don't know how, yeah, anyone could watch that within the context of the movie and think that that was some sort of a mistake I don't know, that's really weird Yeah, like I wonder, like were people like yelling in the theater like, turn it up, <laughs> like all three times that I've seen it, it's just been absolute dead silence. Oh my God. Yeah, that. when I went to see it with you, I mean, like, our group that we went with took up all but one seat of the first row. Yeah. The not the, the first row. We're not idiots. Uh, but, like, the... The good the good row. Yeah. The railing row. The rail you know, row. If you know our specific theater we're at. Um, row H. But, like, uh, it just seemed like the perfect audience. Like, everybody was just, like, they laughed at the, good, at the right moments. Um, you could hear some gasps from time to time, but it, mostly it was just silence, which is rare and perfect. Well, I mean, I saw it uh, opening night, first available show that I could get, 7 o'clock on opening night. Theater was absolutely packed. And I love going to see Star Wars movies uh, on opening night like that, yeah. where you know that everybody in that theater is going to be like a hardcore Star Wars fan yeah. because they're like, they bought tickets, you know, months in advance, oftentimes, and uh, yeah, it's been a. I've gone to see every every movie since uh, *Phantom Menace*, uh, every Star Wars movie I've gone on opening night, and it's always just awesome because there's just an electric quality in the theater where, like, you know, the 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 titles at the beginning say, you know, come up and it's like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then you're blasted with the music and the logo comes on and everybody's like cheering and it's going crazy and it's just like yeah we're doing this thing and it's awesome and then uh yeah i mean audience was definitely on board it felt like everyone was on board with the movie i mean there were i mean some of the big moments it was like yeah lots of gasps and just like uh yeah really great reactions but um just to get back a little bit to what I was saying, I, I you know, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm like necessarily complaining about like this, uh, this sort of new visual language that's being used by Ryan Johnson here, where we are like using things like slow motion. Oh my, how dare they use slow motion in a Star Wars movie and flashbacks. And uh, there's even a little bit of, um, <clears throat> there's uh, even, even stuff like, like extreme close-ups of things where we'll get an extreme close-up of like a lightsaber hilt or a hand or parts of a face or parts of a Just face like the eyes yeah these are things that like like an italian horn <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely not like it's it's a departure from how things yeah. how george lucas shot things he was very you, you know very rarely do we get like lots of close-ups of stuff things are kept at that sort of like objective kind of viewpoint sort of wide 
and uh, the classical style, classical style, like the way yeah. like Coppola did the first Godfather film. He like went out of his way to like he was like I want to shoot this in the classical style. I don't want to do anything fancy, and it was great. And then I mean Lucas is a good friend of Coppola's. Yeah, I'm sure they had similar yeah. similar tastes, similar influences, and all that. I mean, and so there is part of me that, and I I'll be honest, like halfway through watching Last Jedi. There was like this like sinking feeling that came over me that I was kind of like this is it like this is this is the tipping point all the Star Wars movies after this are going to go further in this direction I don't think there's any going back episode to... 9 is going to be found footage <laughs> episode, well I think episode 9 I mean because it's JJ Abrams coming back I think it will be much more in line with what we got with uh, Force Awakens How did that happen where Ryan Johnson took over the second one like was was J.J. Abrams always going to be the bookend of this? Like, no. How did that... No. Because that's, that's odd. Basically, J.J. Abrams was brought on for episode seven. They tried to convince him to stay on for the whole trilogy. He declined. He was just like, I just want to do one. I, I don't want to devote an entire decade of my life to this. He Did he do both of the Star Trek movies? Yeah. I, I see where he's coming from, because that's a huge... Yeah, like I do. I just did two of those. Yeah. I don't want to do. I don't want to do a whole three of these, which are you know, if they're spacing it out every other year. I mean, you're you're looking at yeah, at least like a decade of your life essentially. So it's like Sean Connery is saying like, you know, I'm done with James Bond, and they're like, all right, come on in, George Lazenby. Yeah. And then <laughs> well, <laughs> Ryan yeah, Johnson. I'm not, is not sure. George I'm not sure why uh, why Sean Connery wasn't in uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the, the plan was always it was going to be J.J. Abrams does episode 7, Ryan Johnson was going to do episode 8, and then Colin Trevorrow, director of uh, Safety Not Guaranteed and uh, Jurassic World, he was going to do episode 9. Okay. After, about, uh, oh, how long ago was it? Five, four or five months ago? Well, I mean... This is part of a discussion about the goings-on of Lucasfilm that stretches beyond uh, them essentially firing Colin Trevorrow. It's because of what happened with with the Solo movie, the Han Solo movie, where they had essentially shot 75% of the movie with directors uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. The Lego people. the The people who made the Lego movie. And they were fired off the movie before they could even finish it and Ron Howard was brought in um, so then the firing of Colin Trevorrow was sort of the, the latest in a long line of that happening even with Rogue One uh, there was a part during reshoots where director Gareth Edwards was sort of sidelined um, and another director was brought in and uh, yeah so this has been sort of happening um, but so they dropped Colin Trevorrow not sure why I'm sure that like Maybe some of it had to do with with the reception of his film, um, which is the name of which is escaping me right now. Um, but also, I don't know. Maybe the the direction he was going with the script wasn't what they uh, they just weren't happy with. But they dropped him and they they got J.J. Abrams back for episode nine, which ultimately I think is a good thing. I think. Uh, the Book of Henry. The Book of Henry, that's right. That's, yeah. I remember reading hilarious reviews of that. Yeah, it was like <laughs> very critically derided. Um, I didn't realize that was the same person who did Jurassic World. Yeah. That's a weird turn. That's cool, though, that you try something different. But, uh. Yeah. Um, I think it's part of the problem with 
with this movie because Last Jedi, for as much as I say, like I think it's a great movie and I really do enjoy it, but it's certainly not without its faults. Yeah. And uh, I think like a lot of the criticisms that's been levied towards it, I think a good amount of those criticisms are justified. Um, there are a lot of plotting issues, a lot of strange decisions made. The slow um, chase sequence where people are coming and going from where they should be confined, sort of. Yeah, where it just kind of undercuts a lot of the tension that you could be feeling during this uh, this this chase scene. None of which bothered me during the experience of watching the film. Mm. Like at, thinking about it afterwards, I was like, "Wait a minute!" But, <laughs> like, I, you uh, know, and I, I there are. Um, well, I guess we'll get back to that. But I guess what I was just saying is like yeah. the the. <sighs> What's odd about this trilogy is, like, J.J. Abrams made the, the first one, wrote it with Lawrence Kasdan, and they just handed it off entirely to Ryan Johnson, to left it entirely up to him to basically decide who are Ray's parents, what Luke Skywalker's up to, you know, the backstory of Snoke and Kylo Ren and all that. There is no direction. And Ryan Johnson has, has come out and said this week, like, I have no idea what's going to happen with Episode Nine. I set things up. I don't know... Yeah, you know they—they're just—it's all totally up in the air. It's, that's so that's such a weird way to go about it's it. It's such a weird way to go about it, and I think like if things had been thought about ahead of time with a definitive plan for what the trilogy is going to be, I think this movie could be a better movie, and I think Force Awakens could be a better movie mm. because I think it's just—it's—it is just like kind of strange. Now, that said, George Lucas to a degree was sort of playing it by ear with the with the original trilogy. Obviously thing something like Leia being Luke's sister was not originally planned. Yeah. That was not settled on until the making of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but for the most part he had a, a a grand vision of what he wanted to do and it was all coming from this one place and like he was tell he was trying to tell this 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 certain story that he wanted to tell about Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. And we're not really getting that with this new trilogy, where I don't really feel the cohesive vision. Episode 7 and Episode 8 are two very different movies. <laughs> and to a degree, Ryan Johnson kind of threw away, much like Luke kind of tosses the lightsaber over his shoulder, he kind of throws away a lot of the things that were sort of set up in Force Awakens. Yeah. Some for better, some for worse, I think. But... Um, so there, yeah, there are a lot of criticisms about um, the the some of the plotting. Now, one of my big things that I've even after seeing it three times, I'm still not sold on is Finn and Rose's side plot to Canto Bight, the casino planet, yeah. where they need to go get this code breaker so that they can get back to the chase that's still going on. Yeah. So that they can break onto the enemy ship and disable their tracking so that they can escape. A plan that ultimately fails and doesn't really impact the plot of everything. Those parts, of the, the, the fact that the mission fails is not the thing that bothers me about that subplot. It's just that, like, Canto Bite in the Casino Planet just isn't really compelling to me at all. It's not very entertaining. You got your Joseph Gordon-Levitt cameo. You got your Justin Theroux cameo. You got your Justin Theroux cameo in there. <laughs> yeah. And you got your Benicio Del Toro. That, 
is an important part of the movie, his character. The things he sheds light on. And um, when we're seeing, like, the casino planet or whatever, like, we see the class structure. Mm-hmm. The way that, like, those the stable kids are being treated like shit. And um, just the exploitation of everything... I think it was. It, I think that's an important part of the film, and it, like later, it, like it, it comes back um, symbolically when we're in that last battle, and um, where are they at the end? Uh, crate. Crate. The plant, yeah. And they're going across like the sand, and it comes up, and it's all red underneath. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like this war that they've been waging. It's like it's making the very land bleed, and just like the whole like social structure of everything. It's like yes, you've got the force going on over here you got the first order and the resistance and they're fighting and it's like it, the fight itself even if it's like a noble fight is still killing things right and it's like and all these people the war profiteers mm-hmm. like it's helping them no matter whether you're uh the resistance or the first order you're still helping those guys stay rich and keeping those uh stable children exploited yeah like i i feel like um Plot-wise, maybe it didn't help out, but I think that will that feeds the entire saga. I think that I think thematically, you're right. I think there is a lot of uh, stuff to be mined. Specifically, yeah, the things that Benicio del Toro's character, who doesn't really have a name, his name is just a DJ, a nickname, DJ. Don't join. Which is based on his uh, sort of catchphrase, "Don't join." Which I think you're right. I mean, it ties into thematically everything else that's going on in the movie. Um, it makes you rethink things you've seen in other movies. Well, I mean, it's that, like the whole the conversation they have in the movie Clerks about the people who are helping build the Death Star. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, you need a job, and like, they were all killed, and like the war is affecting people who don't necessarily like have a have, ho- a, have, a, have a horse in this race. Yes, or a father or a in this fa- race. <laughs> father. Yeah. The the, the the space horses that are in the movie. It's a little more on the nose than <laughs> Vader. Father. Um, Dark Favier. <laughs> but essentially, the thing that, like, you know, DJ is saying, don't join, that's kind of where, like, Luke Skywalker's at. Where yep. he's like, hey, you know, the best thing to do right now is just to not get involved. Don't join. Don't, you know, I don't want to uh, basically affect either side. He's at the place where he thinks that, like, the, you know, the best thing to do is just, like, end this constant, endless cycle of, like, light side versus dark side. And he thinks the way to do that is to, you know, basically just take the Jedi off the table and out of the equation. What happens if, so we see, I mean, the First Order, if they are successful in stomping out the Resistance, like, you know, they're horrible. First Order's horrible. They're, like, destroying all these planets mm-hmm. and stuff. And, like, we see in, um, like, The Force Awakens, so they're just, like, you know, they're just killing everybody. If the resistance wins what are they gonna do well this is a this is a problem with not just this movie but it's a problem that that i think this movie kind of inherited from force awakens which is like we don't really know what we never really see the effect of the first order on the galaxy at large we don't know how much of an influence they have it's and it, it was kind of jarring to me when it's like we come to this uh casino planet and we're being told like oh all these people here, they're all rich because they're selling weapons to the First Order. Like, are there planets that are under First Order 
control or rule we don't really know like what the state of like the republic of some the, of them the proper also gov- government to yeah to the, the resistance. resistance yeah um but like the the resist it's just weird like we don't really know what the political landscape of the galaxy is really the casino planet that could also be um like you know you think of like the united states of america and like we for many years have sort of had this privilege of like we're here we're doing our thing and we're a very wealthy nation and we don't really think of like oh like our government has like been selling weapons to various factions in the middle east for decades and they're fighting their wars which they're not our wars they have become our wars because of like our involvement our underhanded involvement different like oh we'll sell you these to help us fight the soviets and then later we'll help these guys fight you guys and now like I mean, it could be just be a comment on that. Yeah, and like as we the, as we the, as citizens yeah. are like, oh well, we're you know pff, that's over there. We're not right. involved, but we as Americans are through our government very involved in that. Through the yeah the military industrial so complex. like we just hanging out here. We're like the people on the casino planet. To a degree, yeah. I mean, this it definitely like yeah implicates everybody, and I, I do like the idea that like basically all of the characters in the movie have to deal with sort of different facets of the same thing which is dealing with failure and dealing with the idea that like things aren't as black and white as we want them to be Mm. and i do really like that i like because that's essentially where like uh kylo ren and ray's story is at in the movie where they're both kind of coming to terms with the fact that like well maybe things aren't all just like light side and maybe things aren't all just dark side and maybe there's actually a place in the middle where you can kind of get by um just have their own private little skype conversations (laughs) without anybody else being privy to like their relationship yeah um, oh, that random topless moment where I love that scene. <laughs> Kylo Red is just like, oh hey, oh hey, yeah. uh, I just happened to not be wearing a shirt. What's up? Yeah, yeah I didn't see there. I just uh, coming out of the shower and <laughs> oh boy, yeah. What's up? <laughs> yeah, no. For all we know, they're going to end up to be like related very closely or something. I don't. Know. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly, you know, it's funny because this this whole thing of like are we being told the truth about Ray's parentage is basically the same thing that audience audiences went through with empire strikes back when Darth Vader told Luke that he was his father. That's what James Earl Jones thought when he read the script. There were so many people that were just like, nah, he's lying. He's lying to him. No way. Why wouldn't he? He's Darth Vader. (laughs) Yeah. I think like star Wars doesn't really like do that. You know, I think like, I think that's the truth. I think the truth is hasn't done that. All bets are off, Max. I know, I know. This is Disneyland. I know, but I'm just saying, like, I just, I don't think that they're gonna go back on that. It would, to me, it would feel really weird to be like, oh no, she's actually like, you know, Han and Leia's son. Her and Kylo Ren are brother and sister. Because then it's just like, okay, so all the time that, like, Rey was with Leia or with Han during Force Awakens, like, they just didn't tell her that, like, oh yeah, you are actually our daughter. They might not have known. When the whole thing is about, like, know. trying to put their family back together and, yeah. like, trying to 
get their son back. Now they all of a sudden their daughter shows up and they're just like, oh, we're, we're not going to tell you that we're actually, you know, we're not going to be excited about this. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. And same thing with Luke Skywalker. There's no way that like, unless it came out that somehow Luke had a daughter and thought that she was, you know, dead or didn't realize that it was her. But it's to me, it's just like that ship has sailed. I don't think that there's any way that you can like, you know, you go a whole movie with Ray and Luke and, and suddenly say at the end of it, like, well, after the fact, like, oh no, they, they are actually like, you know, father and daughter. Like, I just, I don't see that. And to me, it's like, I'm okay with the idea that like, she is just, you know, as Kylo says, you know, you're, you are, you were born to nobody. Um, it re, I don't know if this is a word, re-democratizes the idea of the force where, like, it can't be just anybody. You don't have to be this bloodline. Like, you could have the midi-chlorians or whatever, right. but, <laughs> like, those stable kids at the end. Yeah, I think that is the point that this movie is trying to make, that, like, everybody has that power within you, um, and you aren't bound by whoever your parents are, and, like, you can, you know, basically stand on your own two feet and be the be your own person and uh, not have, you know, you aren't defined by, like, whoever your parents are. Which, I mean, that had to be a lot of pressure for ben solo growing up yeah like oh my mother's prince princess leia my father is was like a hero who helped destroy the death star and my, my grandfather, grandfather was like yeah Darth fucking vader yeah no and, uh, and my uncle is like you know the fucking you know space <laughs> jesus essentially yeah like, yeah a lot to live up jesus. to <laughs> um yeah, I feel like that definitely uh, helped Snoke manipulate him if he was already having those issues. Yeah, I really hope, I even though Snoke is gone, yeah, yeah. I really hope more... Well, it's like I was in the Phantom Menace episode, I was talking about I want to know more about Palpatine. I mm-hmm. want to know more about Snoke. Where do these people come from? Yeah, no, I think like it. that's one thing that I wish that we at least got some little peek into who Snoke was or where he came from, because... I think it's within the context of all of the of the stories. It's like it's kind of hard to think like, well, he's just another Palpatine basically who just popped up out of nowhere. Like, where you can't just introduce him and just be like, okay, he's the guy who like seduced, you know, Ben Solo. Like, how did that happen? And like, why? How, it just I don't know. We need more about him for sure. I think there's a lot of ways in Episode Nine that you can keep him a part of the story. We're gonna see. I feel like in the next one we're going to have some force ghosts. Yes. And I feel like we might have Ewan McGregor telling the history of Snoke <laughs> and about how he met a young Gungan <laughs> uh, yeah. who pretended to be an imbecile, uh, pulled some strings to get Palpatine elected emperor or whatever, or declared emperor, I don't know. Um, and then just like was, he was like with Palpatine the whole time. Like, they were on the same level, Jar Jar and Palpatine. And then once Palpatine was defeated at the end of Return of the Jedi, Jar Jar started laying the plan, or, like, planting the seeds for, like, what would eventually become the First Order. It's possible. I, th- and- I, I give it a... I give it a... Zero point zero zero one percent chance of uh, panning out. <laughs> I feel like for me, as like 
again, a person who likes Star Wars movies, but not necessarily a Star Wars fan, theories like this, they're very fun. And when right. I go to see the next movie and it turns out that's not it at all, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm not like, outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not just, I mean, fortunately, you are also, you're a Star Wars fan, but you also seem to have that attitude because you were saying you had a lot of theories between the movies. I did. I was did. there anything that came about in The Last Jedi that you w- were expecting to go differently based on The Force Awakens that did kind of tick you off? There's one thing specifically that's very, just, it's just a very specific thing. Because there are some overarching things that, like, things that I'm like, going into this, I was hoping that we would see a Luke Skywalker sort of, you know, at least because I knew going in that he was going to at least start the movie as the reluctant teacher. Yeah. But I wanted to see him come full circle and, and come back to the hero that, you know, we always knew him to be. And I think we, pr- we got that, you know, I mean, I, and I was, you know, happy with that. The, but there's one specific detail that I was like, I started thinking about this back when force Awakens came out because they made the, they, they, J.J. Abrams made the choice to basically show Luke with his robotic hand mm-hmm. unsheathed of any sort of like glove or skin or flesh over it, yeah. which it had always been depicted. It was just like straight robotic endoskeleton, Terminator style. And I thought, always thought it was like an interesting choice to do that. And I thought, well, the only reason to do that really is to just make it, you know, visually apparent reminder to the audience of like that he has this thing and what it all symbolizes which is like his which is his initial failure when he went and rushed off you know to face Darth Vader and started to give in to his emotions and to the dark side and stuff and it came to basically symbolize everything that he could turn into he could turn into that Darth Vader if he'd strayed too far from the light side and went too far to the dark side um he could become like Darth Vader. And when he battles Darth Vader in the end of Return of the Jedi and, you know, cuts Vader's hand off and sees that it, it was a robotic limb and he looks down at his own hand and realizes, like, oh, my God, I've, I've you know, I've done, the, I've, I'm going too close to, to where he went. I started thinking about all that and I'm like, oh, okay, so when... Luke Skywalker dies, whether it be in Episode Eight or Episode Nine, because I was pretty, I was positive that he's not going to make it out of the trilogy. I was hoping that he'd make it till <laughs> Episode Nine, but I think within the context of this movie, it makes sense that he that he left. Um, I'm still not entirely happy about it, but like, I think it makes sense. I think it was done very well. Yeah, and but the... I think, and I was like, I, I just okay, because when Luke Skywalker dies, he's gonna become one with the force and his cloak is gonna he's gonna fade away and his cloak is gonna you know blow off in the breeze that metal hand it's still there it should we should have had the moment where we kind of see it fall from his arm and like or at least resting on the ground or something where it's like he's because it, it represents all of that guilt and all of that dark side that he's been carrying with him for the last 40 years the last 37 years or whatever i mean 37 years in real world or whatever or uh you know i don't know 30 years in within the the story world but then he's finally able to like let go of all that and become one with the force and ascend to this higher plane and like shed this thing that's been that he's been carrying with him since empire strikes back you know what i mean and uh and when he becomes a force ghost he's finally going to have that original hand back and it's he's going to be whole again and 
I just, you know, I just think that it was a bit of a missed opportunity and a bit of an oversight to not sort of showcase that. But it's not like a big deal because it still is like, in my mind, you know, it happens. Like he doesn't bring the robotic hand along with him to the other side. <laughs> I remember watching The Force Awakens in theaters and when it first shows him and he has his like robotic hand. Like I was like, wait, what? Oh yeah, like it's not anything I've really, ever really thought about. Like I would think back, like oh yeah, he lost his hand at some point in one of the movies, but like I couldn't remember if it was Empire or Jedi or when it happened. But I do remember like when he's getting like the new hand and they're like poking it or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's not anything I really thought about like thematically and stuff. Because again, VOT, I need to return to it at some point. Like a lot of the details, like. But yeah, like now that you're saying this, I wonder if in the next one someone's gonna have that arm. It's know. out there. It's on that it's island. It's on the island, yeah. It's on or the it's island. just gonna the um, what are the the helpers there? The, yeah, who, the, the caretakers. The ones who uh, hate Ray. Cause, yeah, because you. I loved that little tension. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> like maybe they will place it in that tree, and it'll become part of. Jedi lore or whatever, like yeah, maybe. Is this this is the first one? All right, so between uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, and then between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I mean, the first two, it could literally be three years later. It I, it, it, it is pretty much. Like, and then yeah. between Empire and Return of the Jedi, I don't know how long Han is stuck in that. It's about a year, right. in between those two movies. Yeah. This is the first one that's like the exact moment yeah. the previous one ends, this yeah. one picks right up. Yeah, there's always been at least a couple years of a time jump in between films. and um, Was that something the internet was upset about? Or I feel no, like... No, I don't think it, so. It seems like a weird thing to... Yeah. yeah. I think, like, it does kind of... I don't know, because you think about, like, what the story or how the characters could have developed if they had given a little bit of a time jump there, they could have maybe progressed the characters a little further along. Um, which could have been nice. But I don't think it necessarily hindered the story that they were telling We would have missed too much. Because people, the relationships between people are very important in these movies. And they would have developed without us. And we would have been like, what? How did, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, if it had done that, I feel like, Ray and Poe would have already met at some point. Well, I would think that, like, if we, if we, you could have done a time jump where it's like maybe we're jumping, like, you know, a year later, and Ray is just, like, st- still on still the island, you know, she's been, like, she's been there, and maybe, like. Is Finn still in a coma? Maybe Finn's out of the coma. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's. I just feel like it flows very well. It and does. I, like, like I said, I don't think it hindered yeah. the uh, the storytelling of this movie very much. I, I think it uh, the story that they were telling with this. I don't think it. But it does kind of when you stop and think about the timeline of it. It's like okay, well, Ray, the time between when she's <laughs> when she leaves Jakku in the Millennium Falcon in Force Awakens to when she's battling alongside Kylo Ren in Snoke's throne room how much time passes between those two events like a week <laughs> two weeks i don't know <laughs> Wow. but it's just one of those things that like to me the those sorts of things 
don't really matter when it comes to Star Wars because the timeline of things never really made any sense at all. And also, sometimes you have weeks like that. Yeah, sometimes you just have a really <laughs> fucked up week. Um, but it's also the thing with like with the with the chase, the logistics of it, where like people can poke holes in it. Like, okay, like why didn't why didn't the First Order just like hyperspace jump a, a number of ships in front of them to cut them off? Uh, did they have to really like wait until all of them until the resistance all ran out of fuel? It's like there's a million ways you could sort of get around that chase, you know. Yeah. But to me, it's kind of just like these are, you know, they're just like they're they're pulpy sci-fi stories. And there's all there's always been that element in Star Wars that's like, you kind of just have to go with it. You know what I mean? And to me, it doesn't really affect like the plot as much. And I and I like the story that like Poe has with Leia and with Haldo. And it doesn't really affect that. And I like I like the image of like you know. Oh, like these ships are losing fuel and they're drifting back, and then they're just instantly destroyed because the first order is right there, and they're just lobbing these bombs at them, and it's just like, so I dig all that. It's just, um, you know, when you break down Empire Strikes Back, the timing of that movie makes no sense because Luke leaves to Dagobah, goes straight from the Battle of Hoth straight to Dagobah. Han, Leia, and Chewie and the Falcon leave the Battle of Hoth and they are chased into the asteroid belt. And then they, they they lose the Empire, and their, their hyperspace is damaged, so they, they're like, oh, we need to stop at another planet to get repairs. Where are we going to stop? Oh, Cloud City. We'll go there. So they go straight from Hoth, essentially, to Cloud City, where Aren't Luke Skywalker like rushes planet off to. Where the planet's actually a monster or something? That's in the asteroid belt, yeah. Okay. Where Again, long time. <laughs> but the question has always been, like, how much time passes between when... Han and Leia leave Hoth to when they make it to Cloud City. Because it seems like Luke goes to Dagobah and is training with Yoda for, like, at least a couple weeks. Because he's there, you know, he's, like, he's got his own, like, you know, Dagobah clothes. He's been, you know, like, training with Yoda seemingly every day, getting stronger with the Force. But, like, for Han and Leia, it's, like, time is just, like, I don't know, maybe a couple days at most. But by the time Luke makes it to Cloud City, it's like he's gone through this whole training and this whole thing so it's like but that never really mattered to the movie and to the story of it it's just like the timing of it doesn't really make sense when you think about it but that's okay because it's when you're watching the movie it's not something that you're really cognitively thinking about it's not distracting but if Dagobah is it Dagobah or is it the Dagobah system or something well it's called the Dagobah system but the planet is Dagobah yeah oh okay it's the system in which Dagobah exists okay um maybe that's like right next to Hoth, but Cloud City is, like, on the other side of the galaxy. Well, like, the thing of it is, is, uh, I mean, the Millennium, the Millennium Falcon didn't have hyperspace capabilities, so they, they so were it would take them longer to get They there. were limping along. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the question, is, like, how long were they traveling to Cloud City? Was it, like, weeks? Were they stuck in there? <laughs> oh, so it's not, like, if it was two weeks, it would ruin everything, it's just people are just curious. Because clearly Luke is spending at least that amount of time on Dagobah. Yeah, but in the context of the movie, when they arrive at Cloud City, it doesn't feel like they've been traveling in the Millennium Falcon for, like, you know, two weeks. It probably smelled like it. Oh, I'm sure. You got Chewbacca in there, stuffed up in the Millennium Falcon for two weeks, living on whatever rations they got, with, I don't know if there's a shower on the Millennium Falcon, but, yeah, it's probably no good. But anyway... 
I wonder if R2 has like a little a hose attachment and he's just hosing all of them off. Well, R2's on Dagobah with Luke. Oh, that's right, because he's got him on the... Yeah. Yeah. All right. C-3PO's there. Oh, yeah, C-3PO's. He gets taken apart. (laughs) This is... That brings me to another criticism of mine of of The Last Jedi, and not just Last Jedi, but of The Force Awakens as well. R2 and 3PO have been relegated to the background, and that really kind of bothers me. Why did he have a red arm in Force Awakens? Same reason why he had a silver leg in the original Star Wars. He did? Okay, I didn't... I've never noticed that. Yeah, one of the, his uh, his I believe it's his the the lower half of his right leg is silver when the rest of him is gold. Just in the very first movie. Yeah. Or in the, okay. Yeah. The whole movie, or does he like? Yeah, the hit... whole movie. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know if that was something that happened when they ended up like for sale on Tatooine. And, like... Well, actually, I think at the very end when when they're all cleaned up uh, at at the medal ceremony, I think he might have a gold leg there. That's weird. I never noticed that. Yeah, because they clean them up. They, you know, they probably swap out the parts. Yeah, I never it, noticed that he had a silver leg in that movie. Because I always, I had the toy, and he was just all gold. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the same reason. It's just like, you know, he's been through some shit. He's sort of hobbled together from parts. He's, you know. Because when he started talking about Luke's arm, I was like, I wonder if there's some, I don't know, like something about arms in these movies. Like, Well, that's what's funny. is like literally <laughs> everybody loses a limb. Yeah. In, oh, somebody loses a limb in every movie and specifically usually like an arm or a hand and it was funny because Force Awakens came out and people were like oh well nobody lost a lost a hand or an arm but 3PO's there with the red arm so you're kind of like yeah. well 3PO kind of lost an arm would Darth Maul be that character in Phantom Menace who loses yeah he, well because he kind of lost his legs Yeah. so that was a bit of a yeah and then Anakin loses his arm in episode 2 and then Anakin loses all of the rest of his limbs in Episode Three, um, and then wait. So Darth yeah. Vader is just a human head with all, or a torso too, I guess. He's, yeah, he's got torso, but all of his okay. limbs are all robotic. Yeah. How do I not know these things? Well, as Obi Wan says, he's more <laughs> machine now than man. I remember that. I just <clears throat> i I only remember seeing the the thing. Okay, I don't know. I need to watch those movies again, the original. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I just wish that uh, R2 and 3PO, and this is a bit of a nitpick, but not really because it's just like, I, I wish they had a, a bigger role to play in these movies, only because of the fact that, like, they've always been, I mean, especially in the original trilogy, they were pretty central to a lot of the goings-on and happenings of the movies. And the idea was always, like, George Lucas had said, like, his original intention was that the final the last Star Wars movie would end with R2 and 3PO in the future telling the story of Star Wars like you realize like oh all these everything that we've been watching has, is being told by the droids oh, shit. to somebody and that it's just like they're just recounting the all these adventures that they that they firsthand experienced C-3PO is Luke's Luke and Leia's brother Kinda, yeah. I'm just thinking about that now. I'm yeah. like, I feel like more should have been made of that. And like, <laughs> I, when I do go back and watch the originals, it will be cool to think like, oh, C-3PO, that he's, holy crap, like Darth Vader made him. And like yeah. somebody said, there's a point in like the prequels where they like wipe his memory or something like that. At the end of episode three, yeah, yeah it's kind of like like memory. they got there and they were like, oh shit, people might go back and be like, wait, why doesn't he recognize? So we better throw in the thing. Yeah. But R2, like, <laughs> but R2 
has never had a memory wipe. So he remember R2D2 remembers everything from yeah. the beginning of uh, of episode one all the way through. That makes C3PO a really sad character because like he knows all this stuff and then he has to like be retaught it by R2. Like yeah, like who yeah who the Skywalkers are. So R2D2 like... knows that Darth Vader made C3PO. Yeah, probably. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he, would. he definitely. That would. seems yeah. like. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one. And of like, this things... isn't even really like a Last Jedi thing. This no, is it's something not, like yeah. Star Wars in general. I'm just like realizing these things right now, and like, I gotta rewatch them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I could talk about Last Jedi all day long, and I feel like we just barely scratched the surface with the movie. We haven't even talked about the fucking porgs. Yeah, the porgs. Which I, mean... I honestly, one of my friends asked me the other day, like, do you know this, like, why they made the porgs? And I was like, well, because stuffed animals. Like, that was my response. I was like, uh-huh. I, of course, obviously, I didn't realize that they served a practical purpose. Do you know about that? Yeah, because on the island in which they filmed this in Ireland, Skellig Michael, uh, its native inhabitants are uh, these puffins. They're everywhere. Yeah. And so they were filming a lot of these scenes, and they realized that these puffins were just like, it was impossible to, to get them all out of the, of all the scenes that they were filming. So, you know, there are often times where there are some puffins flying around in the background, and they were just like, well, we'll just, you know turn them into porgs um yeah i think the porgs like they had so much of a build-up so much merchandising and and everything see i'd never seen one until the theater because i i mean i guess if i walked through a toy aisle i would have looked at one and not even been like oh that must be a star wars thing right because i mean you know christmas time i was like yeah just walking around looking for stuff for my nephew and i didn't really think of it yeah so they they, there was just such such a big marketing push with these with the porgs and they're the Ewoks. They didn't really one. have much of a, you know, impact on the story at all, which I think is for the best. I, I enjoyed the port. We, <laughs> they helped expand Chewie's involvement in the film. Yeah. Then... <laughs> we kind of, uh, <laughs> after we saw the movie, we were joking around with our friends and we were like, we lit, we were like, oh, what are your top five favorite Porg moments? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you had five. <laughs> and I was able to bust out five. Yeah. And <laughs> Do you recall those five? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I won't bore you with my top five favorite <laughs> porg moments. J.J. Abrams is going to have to deal with killing Leia. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, ca- I expected it to happen in this one. Some post-production trickery. Yeah. I really don't know what they're going to do for, for Leia. I mean, I, it, I was, I did a lot of speculating before this movie came out, but ultimately it was kind of just like, well, you, we just need to see what goes on in episode eight to really know what to do in episode nine. And I think like the best idea that I've seen online, well, it was, it, it was in a podcast that I listened to the idea that like, I think there definitely has to be a time jump in between episodes eight and nine. Of at least a couple years. And like the first scene could be this big memorial service for Leia. I I don't think you need to go that far, but I do think like if you do a time jump and, I mean the person that was describing this said like, ten year time jump. I think that's a little long. I think that's too far. Oh man! But so... I think I think there I think there's going to be at least a couple years, and I think during that time like Leia will have, you know, died, and maybe you mention it in the opening crawl. See, that's what I don't want to happen. I don't really want that to happen. Thrown away in a crawl. Yeah, for sure. I that it just feels kind of wrong to me. Um But I don't know. 
it's if just, it it's gonna to... be sort of shoehorned in at some somehow, you know. I just. What if it, the movie starts, and she has died, and it's people talking about like she died and we're going to have a memorial service for her. And it's like this big thing, all these different delegates from different planets are like, Oh, this great resistance fighter has perished. We're going to go honor her. And at some point, Kylo Ren shows up because it's his mother. And people are like, we don't want him here, but he, he should be here. (laughs) And like, he's like the, yeah, it's like, he's like the, uh, like the bad son showing up to the funeral. Yeah. And, uh... like, over the course, maybe, you know what, maybe it's like, it's almost like a play. Right. (laughs) It's like the whole thing is the memorial service. And, like, by the end of it, he finally is uh, on the light side. (laughs) That's not how the movie's going to be at all. That's, (laughs) like, this very, like, I don't know. That'd be be interesting, though, if it worked out that way. I feel like her death should have some effect on on what happens with Ben Solo. For sure. And it really is unfortunate because the way that they had kind of set this trilogy up is that it's like episode seven was kind of like Han's movie. Episode eight is Luke's movie. And episode nine was going to be like Leia's movie. And you can see where they could have gone with that, where it's, she was going to be the thing that like Kylo, the ultimate thing that Kylo Ren was going to have to confront. Yeah. Where it's like, he was able to kill his father in episode seven he had the opportunity to kill Leia in episode eight and couldn't do it. Couldn't bring himself to fire upon her, but then is able to take out his rage at Luke Skywalker in one of the best moments of the movie when he's like, I want every gun we have to fire on that man. And they just unload Holy hell onto him. (laughs) Um, And then he goes down there and he's like, you know, basically runs him through with his lightsaber and realizes like he wasn't actually there um but he was you know ready to do that but it still is this thing that the last threshold he has essentially is his mother this thing that like if he can't as he keeps telling ray you know he's like let the past die like let go of all this crap you know you're still holding on like just let it all die and we can move on and build something new that's all good talk and everything but like until he can really let go of his mother like it's not going to he's not you know truly going to be able to like you know commit himself over so it's really unfortunate that we're not where that we won't be able to see the the reunion or confrontation between father or between uh, mother and son yeah it's, it's really unfortunate what is the name of the the other guy the other evil guy husk oh hux hux between the last jedi and whatever the next one is um hux should have leia killed but kylo ren doesn't realize that it was him that did it mm. that would be interesting okay i mean yeah, you could set it up so that maybe it may yeah i mean i always thought that it would be kind of weird to sort of like start the movie in the immediate aftermath of her death but maybe that is the thing that like could make the most sense like if you do set it up so that it is like leia has essentially like just died you know first from from some attack or some reason or something yeah and then it's a pretty good idea yeah then somewhere along the way during the movie yeah kylo ren finds out it was it was hux 
and that, had like, her killed. Every single person in power in the First Order is completely okay with that happening. And he is the odd man out. I mean, as he was during The Last Jedi at parts. Um, and, like, that is part of what pushes him to the light side. <laughs> yeah. Now, that this is the question that um, that has sort of divided uh, the fan base. Not in, like, a bad way, but just sort of, like, I wonder where you fall on this. Is Ben Solo redeemable? Do you think that in Episode Nine, there's a chance or a likelihood that he could come back to the light side or do you think he's he's gone too far and he's 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 just forever lost to the dark side and he, then that come episode nine he's going to be the big bad and the thing that needs to be defeated and uh that there's no that there's no hope that he's going to turn it's like he'll be the palpatine yeah because i mean that and that that's what's really and Ray interesting. could be the vader that could i mean well, that could that have could, happened in the last it could jedi. have happened in the last jedi like you know there's a very there was a chance that like i didn't know i thought maybe ray maybe the movie could have ended with like Ray and Kylo essentially just being like, screw all this, let's just go off somewhere. Yeah, and then, because that would be, like, the last Jedi, because then in the next one you would just have, like, Finn and Poe, who are just these random people, and they have to fight against people with the Force, and they're just... I don't know. I, I don't... It's it's hard to make these predictions, because then they're, like, I don't want to be one of those people who then none of these predictions happen, and I'm just like, oh, fuck this. Like, <laughs> it's just, who knows? It's just all right. speculation. Um... I feel like just based on the way these stories work for the trilogy to be a true trilogy and not just a random group of three films, I feel like it has to have some sort of like positive ending. Um, but I mean, these movies are going to keep going until we're all dead and beyond. So it's like, they could be like, Oh, well that's that trilogy. Those three movies. And then here's the fourth one, and fifth one, sixth one. Like, they could be, keep going chronologically, and then we don't really ever get a happy ending or a sad ending. They could right. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like, the you know, for all intents and purposes, who knows how long that's really gonna last until they Disney decides in five, ten, fifteen, twenty years that they want to do episode ten. <laughs> and I think it's a big uh, misstep on their part. Have, like it, it's it's a big like annual event. Like oh, the new Star Wars movie, and now like the next prequel that's coming out is five months away. I know it's insane. That's stupid of them. Yeah, it's crazy. Mark Hamill, man, I in an interview I was reading, oh, that uh, like a group interview with like the cast and stuff. Um, he mentioned like yeah, you got the Han Solo movie coming out. You know, five months after this one, great marketing idea, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Mark Hamill. He is so awesome in these interviews. Like, like, he's just like so open and like just says it how he feels. But like this next prequel, it's like it's not going to be as uh, as much of an event. It's going to be interesting because like Ron Howard is a more established director than any of the other directors involved. Yeah, I was surprised yesterday when I realized I've only ever seen five Ron Howard films. Um. But like, I, I don't know. It just seems like they're they're blowing their load. Well, I think like episode nine has in in many ways. I think this is the most challenging of the films to get right. Yeah. Because it's not only the final chapter of this trilogy of these new characters that we've introduced. Like you have to create a satisfying end for Ray and Finn and Poe and you know Kylo Ren 
but also it is the final chapter of this nine-part saga that as of as of now it's the last chapter george lucas always said it was you know, originally it was going to be a nine-part series three trilogies and uh you know now lucasfilm and jj abrams are actually completing that and i just i really want them to tie up the saga in a way that brings it back to the that takes everything into account um and i think like you know kylo ren is kind of one maybe the big the most surprising thing about last jedi is how much the movie to me it doesn't really feel like ray's movie it feels more like kylo ren's movie to me yeah ray is somewhat I wouldn't say she's incidental, but she's kind of put on the, uh, maybe on the side burner. Not really the back burner, but I don't really feel like she kind of, what surprised me is after the the throne, uh, the Snoke's throne room scene, she kind of disappears from the movie. She kind of just goes away. And yeah, she's in the Millennium Falcon firing things with Chewie, but she has she nothing. saves them at the very end. She moves, yeah, she, but... she moves the rocks at the very end, but she doesn't really have, like, um, you know, her, her big stuff is sort of done. Because then it kind of, it's all about Kylo Ren and dealing with Luke. It sort of becomes, like, that whole bit of business. With, with... Yeah, that's, you know, because I, I thought that it was going to be like, oh, this movie's going to be about Luke training Rey and their relationship. But even when Ray was there, it was more about like Luke's relationship with Kylo Ren. <laughs> he was the topic that they kept talking about, yeah. you know. And it was Ray dealing with trying to figure out who he was, who who Kylo Ren is, and who Ben Solo was, and like, you know, her talking with him across in time and space. And I gotta say, like, you know, Kylo Ren is is I think my favorite character of this new trilogy and of the new Disney era of Star Wars. And Adam Driver was just, I mean, phenomenal in The Last Jedi. I I really loved all the scenes with him. It was... He was... Uh, you never really knew where, where he was going to go. He was emotional, but, like, kind of... He was very intimidating, kind of scary at, at times, and, like, he, he's just a really great villain. I really, really love him. Um, Do you think this might be... We got the Oscars coming up soon. You know, it's the end of the year and everything. Like, do do you think um, there's anything in this outside of like effects the, the and usual music technical or anything things. that like? Because <sighs> I mean, aside from the first film being up for Best Picture, have have these ever been up for anything besides music and effects? Definitely no acting. Uh, yeah, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Um, I think. I, I, I mean, I want to say that, like, in my opinion, I think Adam Driver is is worthy of a supporting uh, supporting actor nomination. I would, I mean, I would say I think his performance is is phenomenal. I wouldn't argue with that nomination. I, I don't know if this is the the fanboy in me. <laughs> I would love to see Mark Hamill get nominated for an Oscar for the, his performance as Luke Skywalker. That would be amazing. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think there's any world where that happens. Every now and then, the Oscars will have sort of like a sentimental nomination type thing. Right. Sylvester Stallone as as Rocky kind of getting in there for a creed. Did, oh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, or, like, if somebody's, like, around long enough, like, uh, Jack Palance for City Slickers or something like that. Yeah, so I, because I think this is, I think this is uh, Mark Hamill's, probably his best performance uh, in any of the films that I've seen him. And perhaps his best performance as Luke Skywalker, which I think he is just grossly underrated as an actor in the original trilogy. He's often just sort of dismissed as like, well, he's just like whiny, you know. He's the ingenue. He's the... Everything happens around him. Right. But, I mean, he does, he grows in those films. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at Luke, the Luke Skywalker we find in Return of the Jedi compared to A New Hope, and in Empire Strikes Back, I mean, like, he is doing so much of the heavy lifting in those movies that you don't even realize it. Uh, Frank Oz uh, once had a had a great sort of anecdote about how um, you know, Yoda was like, he was like, um, you know, the performance of Yoda is like 50% the puppet and 50% Mark Hamill. Because Mark Hamill is the one who's like selling it to the audience. Yeah. Like his performance on Dagobah is amazing. He's acting alongside Yoda and R2-D2. And <laughs> he's fucking selling it, making it work, man. Like, and it's so great because you, you just buy into this world. Yoda could have been a complete disaster. People could have looked at it and just been like, I don't I don't believe that this Muppet is anything, you know, this, like, Jedi Master or, like, put any sort of weight into him. And I don't want to discount Frank Oz's, I mean, amazing performance as, as Yoda. He really is just incredible with that puppet. Gets so, much, so many different expressions out of it and, like, so much great stuff. But, um... Yeah, so much of what you what we bring to Yoda is through Mark Hamill, and like you know, we believe that Yoda is real because because he believes he's real. Um, and I, man, seeing him in this movie alongside uh, Daisy Ridley and Carrie Fisher, one of my oh, that's one of my favorite scenes, or even the R two scene is a great example of again like he's just selling the fact that like this tin can is like a real thing and he's that yeah. he's his old friend you know and he when i mean when r2 turns on the uh, the the original you know princess leia message to obi-wan that uh seeing three times every time it fucking gets me but yeah mark hamill i don't know i'd like to see him get some sort of recognition i don't think it's gonna happen though but did it get anything at the golden globes or the, any nominations at the golden globes I haven't seen. Because right. I remember, like, we looked at that list. But <coughs> I don't remember really. I don't know. We uh, we should try. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah, we're gonna have to wrap this. up. I could sit here and talk about yeah. <laughs> Jedi for another three hours. But I mean, we're going to a New Year's party, and we're probably gonna end up talking about it anyway. It there. is. It is eleven oh six right now on New Year's Eve, and we're sitting here <laughs> talking into into the this uh, these microphones. Um, when I was, if I was, if I was still a kid, I'd be watching a Three Stooges marathon right now. I miss those. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, so. Do you have any resolutions as we're wrapping this up? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Quickly. Um, I realized today. I, I bought last night. I bought a new uh, uh, bookshelf to rearrange some things in my apartment. And one of the things that I needed to do was rearrange all my DVDs because they just there had been a whole bunch of new 
purchases of Blu-rays and, and VHSs that have just been stacked up and I needed to integrate them all into the collection. And I was looking over everything and I realized just how many movies I actually own that I have not yet seen. So one of my New Year's resolutions is if I can get through all the movies that I own that I have never seen before. I mean, imagine that. Imagine owning a, a, a movie library where you've seen all of the things or you're just like, I've gone through it all. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> well, I'm going to try. That's, that's going to be one of my things is I want to actually get to some of these things that I've been putting off. So that's, that's my film New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution for 2018 is um, by this time next year, I would like to have seen 52 films on the big screen. One a week, huh? Maybe. Or... Or sometimes catching up. Yeah, every now and then, like, if, if it's, like, a Tuesday, uh, I'll go spend $21 and th see three movies or something, or if I go to any film festivals this year. We like, should get this uh, movie pass. I think that'll make it a lot easier. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty ambitious uh, goal. Yeah. But... Um, I think I can do it. I don't know. Um, I think y you should be able to fulfill your goal, I think. and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. There's this, a, there's quite a bit. This January, but. I think, will help out with that a little bit. Because uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, cleaning house a little bit. That's going to be sort of our January theme. Oh, is it? We have any, I, I don't even know what this is. I'm telling you right now. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, we're, I'm going to pick two movies that I own and have never watched. And you're going to pick two movies oh. that you own and have never watched. And well, we're going to watch the fuck out of these movies. So you planned that already? Yeah. Oh, you're, this is the first time you're telling me, so <laughs> that lines up perfectly for my for my resolution. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll pick two movies that I own. I have laid down my own money and purchased, uh, but I have not yet Do, do we want to start with one of yours or one of mine? I haven't really decided yet, but I can decide right this second if you want. Um, yeah, I'd, ha I'd have to actually look and see. So, yeah, you just uh, pick one right now. All right. Uh, um, have you ever seen Repo, the genetic opera? Nope. Neither have I. I own it on DVD. <laughs> okay. Let's do Repo, the genetic opera. That is that a Joss Whedon movie? Uh, I don't believe so. It's a, like a horror musical. Um, I thought that was directed by Joss Whedon. Maybe it is. Maybe I'll finally see a Joss Whedon-directed film. Um, I could be totally wrong, but, uh, Repo, the genetic opera. Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking of, um... Repo Men? No, no, no. The, he did a musical thing, uh... There was an episode of Buffy that was a musical. No, no, no. It was a, um... It was like a blog thing. Oh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Yeah, there you go. That's what oh, I'm thinking of. Okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. No, Repo uh, Man, the uh, the genetic opera, was directed by... Not uh, Repo Man, it's Repo. Repo, the genetic opera, yeah, okay. I'm looking at it right now. Um, that was directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, who... I don't know who that is. Director of some of the Saw films. Oh, okay. I know him because uh, we share an alma mater at Full Sail University. Nice, all right. Well, this is going to be... This is a great choice, then. <laughs> yeah, so... He was... When I went to school, he was one of the ones who was like, you know... He was probably the most notable uh, film director to come out of the of the program, and be like, "Oh yes, uh, director of Saw 2, Darren Lynn Bosman was uh, was a student here." I think at purchase it was Hal Hartley, and I've still never seen, or I have seen one Hal Hartley film, No Such Thing, which I did not like at all. 
Cool. So that's coming up next episode. Uh, Repo, the genetic opera. Well, this episode was just jam-packed with all sorts of stuff. I could sit here forever talking about things, but I feel like we're under the gun here. we got 45 minutes till New Year's Eve, till 2018. Oh, my God. And we got to get over to Joel Barlow's house. So, thank you for joining us <laughs> for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next year. Next, happy happy next 50th, time. Max. Happy 50th, Tim. And happy new year. And happy new year. <laughs>